Hello everyone, and welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 156. Uh, I'm Jackson, I'm not joined by M this time, that's why they're not introducing it, but I'm joined by a guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello, uh, my name is uh, Aaron, uh, I am uh, at uh, Wudabris on Twitter, and uh, Wudaba uh, pretty much everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, I am very excited to have you. Uh, you're here to talk about the Final Fantasy Thirteen games and also Type Zero, I guess. Kind of. yes. Look, it's going to be a very broad podcast because there's so <laughs> many fucking video games. But the point is, I did it. I played all of the Final Fantasy Thirteen Fabula Nova Crystallis games. Uh, and I know uh, you're a big fan of uh, some of them, it turned out. Um, and yes. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation about it because I, I didn't want to not podcast, but also me and I have talked about these games too much. If we talk about Final Fantasy, we'll be shot. Uh, so I sidled <laughs> it off here. Uh, <laughs> which does mean um, that unlike other podcasts on this network, uh, we're not going to, we can't summarize these games. There's four games. <laughs> You're going to have to watch a plot summary yourself if you've not played them. I strongly recommend you just go and play them, but this is not going to be for beginners. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't think these games are like easily to sort of capture succinctly in a lot of ways anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, They're all, they're four very different games, uh, as it turns out. Very different games uh, with a lot of the same terms that mean different things every time as (laughs) characters get cycled out and plans are changed and the company is falling apart around them. Um, But yeah, so uh, I don't know exactly where to begin. Other than, uh, what's what's your history with Final Fantasy Thirteen? Mine is that I played it many. I played the first one like a decade ago, and I'm finally playing the rest. So, uh, yeah, I've played Final Fantasy Thirteen uh, when it came out. Uh, I remember uh, being very excited about it. Uh, it was. Uh, one of those things where I downloaded the trailer onto my Xbox 360 oh, so shit. that I could watch it on there. There, uh, I got my non-weeb friends around to say, look at this trailer, it's so cool. And they were like, yeah, sure does look like something. Which trailer uh, was this? Was the uh, announcement or the launch one? Oh, I think it was uh, one of the early trailers because it uh, was like uh, Japanese with subtitles and not didn't have any dub stuff over it. Okay. Uh, so... Yeah, I think it was like the stuff like lightning on the train and things like that. Uh, it is cool. The thing is, it's fucking it's really cool. cool. <laughs> She's in the, it's got that one shot where it's like the point of view shot of the soldier. She shoots him in the face and the visor cracks. so good. Uh, yeah, I think one thing that has uh, totally uh, never wavered uh, in my feelings about these games is uh, that 13 in particular, but they all just look very cool. I am very taken with the visual stylings of these games. Uh, I just think uh, they look really uh, ostentatious, but with a real kind of uh, clarity in terms of like what the visuals are trying to communicate uh, that I really, really like. Uh, I think all these games look fantastic. Uh, and yeah, so I, I played the game and I remember enjoying it at the time, and it was one of those things where I went onto the internet and found that I uh, oh, oh that was that was that was not the correct opinion to have, uh, and so as an insecure teenager I was like well maybe I'm just not gonna not gonna talk about these games, um, and I think I played thirteen two when it came out, uh, and 
didn't finish it for a couple of years just because I got distracted by other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, this was when I had shifted my Final Fantasy fandom temporarily to a Mass Effect fandom, which worked out great. For that me. worked out so good. <laughs> yeah, I was also a Mass Effect teenager. I went so hard all in on Mass Effect, uh, especially before two. Like I was, I was in before two, and then two was like. I really liked it, but it, it, I was all about the Citadel and the like Star Trek shit, right? And then so mm-hmm. turning into Firefly with this like weird human racist revenge quest was less less interesting to me. And then three, I was like, oh no, oh it's over, <laughs> it's uh, S is over for Mick, um, and it was bad. Uh, yeah, uh, you told people in 2011 that uh, in a decade <laughs> the Final Fantasy versus Mass Effect fandom war would shake out so brutally. No one would believe you. <laughs> uh yeah uh and i think like because of that uh, i missed lightning returns completely when it came out I, it just passed me by i did not play it until uh actually the first lockdown is when i finally got around oh, to damn. playing lightning returns um and uh in the interim uh i had i got final fantasy type zero hd for the Final Fantasy 15 demo. Yes. Uh, and I did the classic thing of I played Type Zero uh, long enough for the demo to download and I switched off Type Zero <laughs> and did not play it for uh, years. Uh, and then I tried on two separate occasions to get into it again and just found it incredibly difficult. And then last year, I was like, right, I'm going to just sit down and force myself to play through this and just try to penetrate it like understand it in any way uh and it took me a long time uh but uh i think i altered my brain chemistry enough that i came out the other side thinking type zero is uh incredible uh amazing video game uh for uh mad people like me <laughs> uh yeah i mean tabata is like an alien who doesn't really understand <laughs> rpgs at all like all of his games have like they have the rpg systems and they have numbers but the numbers aren't set to any balance that anyone would ever consider like a reasonable way to approximate like an rpg difficulty curve oh um, yeah and uh, sometimes that leads to crisis call where it's like i'm either pressing no buttons doing no damage or i just press thunder and everyone dies in one hit and there's no video game here <laughs> um sometimes it leads to type zero where you're like okay if i, I can solve this equation <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe these guns will do some damage but also sometimes the numbers are just fake because you can go into your fight and says well i've got like 700 hit points but then one guy casts one spell on me and i'm just dead instantly so uh maybe i'm an idiot for trying to solve the equation <laughs> even though on separate occasions i do need to try to solve the equation uh yeah uh so i also play type zero and i'm not as type zero pilled as you but i do think it's really good and interesting um Mm. uh, type zero has this thing uh which is i would consider one of the most important things in final fantasy is not if the game is any good um but if your final cutscene is good enough it doesn't matter what game you put beforehand (laughs) yeah uh that's you know uh, insofar as Tabata has mainstream success, that is his key to it, is that uh, even though I don't like the final cutscene of Crisis Core, that clearly is like a major, that that stuck with a lot of people and is a major part of that game. Uh, and uh, as you discussed on the 15 episode, uh, the ending of 15 is just perfect. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, so he knows how to stick the landing, if nothing else, I feel. 
Yeah, I mean, the ending of Type Zero and 15 are the same as Crisis Core. It's just that Crisis Core is, has a lot of thematic underpinnings that I find stupid. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the guy in Crisis Core as much as I like uh, Noctis, uh, or the general idea of Class Zero. <laughs> yeah, uh, and... So, like, I love, like, playing it, I was kind of annoyed. I thought there was, like, some interesting moments, um, especially the uh, the Alexander summon. Uh, that cutscene, fucking incredible. Yes. Uh, if you've not played Type-Zero, strongly recommend to go and at least watch the Alexander summon. It's a, it's an amazing scene. Um, yeah, and it has a fantastic ending. And, and So I, I love to, like, rotate it in my mind and think about it and, and watch watch the final cutscene and hear the song. Uh, and I'm like, that's Final Fantasy to me. Because we have another mm. game in here, Lightning Returns, which I loved playing. I adored it. I think the game's great. Uh, the final 45 minutes is so bad that I'm like, well, I'm not going to think about it in the same way. <laughs> it really does matter if you nail the ending of your Final Fantasy game. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think um, uh, it's it's a real shame for like Lightning Returns in particular because... Uh, it all uh, all two times I've played through it, um, I have spent most of the game going, "This is this is fantastic. This is doing so many really interesting things." Why was I not taken with it that much the last time I tried it? And then I get to the end, I said, "All oh, right, yeah, oh yeah," because it, it all kind of ends like this. This is a waste of my fucking time, is what it, what it was. Uh, so yeah, I guess with that, we'll uh, broadly go back to the thirteen and kind of take these vaguely in order. Um, so, uh, original 13, famously long delayed because Square Enix was falling a fucking part. Uh, meant to be a PS2 game, then was a PS3 game, they had to try to invent crystal tools, uh, and the game was made in a year, functionally. Like, the, yeah. the, the thing that they always say is, oh, we didn't really have a video game until we got the Advent Children demo out, and then you look at the date of the Advent Children demo, and you're like, even if this went gold like a couple months beforehand, whoo, ooh. Uh, yeah. But what wasn't made in a year was all the assets. The assets and the levels were made over many, many years, and so you have one of the most ostentatiously beautiful games I've ever played. Like, they're never going to make it like this again, ever. Straight up. We'll not, we'll not see it like again. It almost totally. killed the company. <laughs> um, as you just walk for like four seconds through beautiful environments that you never see again, everything's bespoke because they just had that many assets uh, and all they could put in them was like uh, just, just the combat that they'd made with the enemies they'd made in time. Um, and luckily, uh, that combat, Fantastic. It's really good. Uh, I guess, like for those uh, who, who have not played the game, it is uh, kind of like a puzzle approach to an RPG battle system. In that, uh, you have like these set uh, groups of jobs, uh, your paradigms, uh, and then you're kind of uh, find the correct approach in the correct situation. Uh, to deal with a, this specific sort of set of enemies that are that you're presented with, uh, and there's a very binary pass feel um, sense um, compared to a lot of RPGs, where uh, because because it's so linear and because the enemies are like right in your path, you can run around them, but it's often way more trouble than it's actually worth. So it's just a matter of all right, can you solve this tiny little combat puzzle? Uh, to progress through this level and, and onto uh, the next combat puzzle, or uh, and I think where the system falls down somewhat, uh, the same combat puzzle again. Yeah, uh, I think if I was to remake or re-release thirteen, and, and I could do any rebalancing, it would be if you get a five star in a like a battle format, uh, that battle format disappears because you've already beaten it, you've already mm. proved you can do it. Um, 
and there's nothing really in the game that uh justifies the like rpg trimmings right like um you still have bits where you're going through dungeons fighting the same kind of lots of enemies for an hour um and while there are a few systems that would mess up if you took that out like the really bad weapon upgrading system that has like fun possibilities but it's so poorly explained that if you're not you're either following a guide and know exactly what you're doing or you're just wasting all your money yeah um, kind of the two uh possibilities there um and the uh uh like there's like this, your deceptacle and other stuff there's like a few items that do persist but generally speaking it's so focused on the like individual battles that uh, i would just cut them out once you get five stars that, that's that puzzle solved <laughs> uh, and you'd save a lot of time in the video game uh yeah i think that's like one of the downsides of 13 is like what well, i really really like the combat and i really like how focused it is especially in the first half um i think it kind of like wavers a bit in the back half which is not the received wisdom on 13 not um, at all <laughs> But I, I do actually think that like when it opens up and like the the game's about giving me combat puzzles and the tools to solve them, once it no longer knows what tools I have, the combat puzzles get less interesting, even if I technically have more options. Yeah, and I think uh also because of uh the semi open, it's not actually that open. Uh the game does not really open up so much as uh you're presented in a much larger, wider level that you're asked to sort of run back and forth uh, doing side quests uh, for a while. And uh, the problem is uh, that you're running into a lot of these very same combat puzzles uh, again. And they're not quite as interesting because they aren't designed with like the, like you say, like the prescribed movesets the game knows you have in mind. So uh, the, the puzzles are less interesting and you're doing them way more often. And it, creates an experience where uh it's a very wearying part of the game uh at the exact point that even like uh i think narratively it is like almost interesting because it's a point where the characters don't actually know what they're doing or where they're going or what's <laughs> happening really yes. uh uh which is a beat that i think also happened in final fantasy 10 uh but the equivalent beat in 10 lasted an hour max in 13 it's like a third of the game almost it's like 10 hours uh depending on how uh many of the hunts you take on yeah especially if you're doing the hunt it's like okay the story just stops uh and you're gonna go go up to every seath stone and the seath is gonna be like i was tasked with the holy mission of the gods please slay slicks flan um and then you slay slicks flan and they're like whoa i am free <laughs> and that just uh, happens for 20 hours if you want it to my focus was to pick up some ice cream from the shop, but there was a planeter in the way. No! no! <laughs> uh, the little blurbs they put for all the sea stones are very funny to me. <laughs> like, like, they can't help... N n like, they have to narratively justify them, but by narratively justifying them, it makes the whole conceit of the world seem even sillier, as you see all these like little fetch quests everyone had from the gods. The, the gods yeah. wanted you to kill Six Flan. Uh, I think, like uh the the payoff to all the this this section of the game um is i think uh maybe my favorite section of it which is when you reach uh this like village uh at the sort of end of the this path uh and a lot of the kind of like visual signifiers come into play in like really cool ways uh and the music's really good uh, i really like all that i just wish it wasn't like I don't. Th I think you could have achieved this without like uh, eight hours of built up. 
Yeah. Um, I, I do think one of the weaknesses of 13 is that it just never fucking ends. It just never ends. Uh, it goes on forever. It's like 60 hours long. Um, I, the, the final dungeon is one of the most aesthetically cool final dungeons um, in a Final Fantasy game. You're just like finding guys inside Spy Kids 3D. Um, <laughs> and then you're just in that red corridor for like two hours fighting guys at the narrative climax of the game. You're like, please, please let me finish the video game. Um, so I would say the pacing is generally weak throughout 13. Uh, but every segment is just a little too long. Yeah, uh, a little too many battles, little too many cutscenes re- reiterating the same beats, um, even though I generally like those beats. Like, I really like the cast of this game. Uh, yes. I think it's fantastic party. I think the first half, especially before they all get to Pulse, uh, does a great job in like pairing off the characters. Uh, they all hate each other. Uh, they all have like very interesting and justified reasons to hate each other. Um, and it lets those reasons like play off each other. Like Everyone's in conflict. There's lots of people actually talking out their problems. There aren't easy solutions to them. And I'm like, damn, we've got a story going here. Yeah, uh, I think... Uh, it's really interesting, uh, again, speaking of like the received wisdom of this game, that uh, it's kind of like the plot is incomprehensible. Uh, there are all these proper nouns. Um, even like, yeah, I, I think that is sort of like overstated the way it is for many JRPGs. Uh, but also, I don't think the plot is that important in this game. I th- it, it is mainly like a, like a very character-focused story. Yes. Uh, most of the game is like, the plot doesn't progress that much. Uh, essentially, the, the these characters are like branded as enemies of the state, uh, and are they they have superpowers as a result, but they're they just kind of like they're on the run uh, from the bad military, uh, which is distinct from a separate good military, uh, which is one of the uh, most war on terror aspects of this game to me. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, because of that. The characters all split up. Uh, they don't actually get together as a party until like uh, halfway through the game, maybe later, depending on, on uh, how protracted your backstretch of the game is. Um, and it's just kind of like exploring uh, these dynamics and uh, how these people are reacting to the situation and uh, their inbuilt prejudices about um you know this this uh world called pulse which is presented as this sort of hell world that is the enemy of the world in which the characters live yeah um and i think that stuff is all really good uh i think like this is just classic final fantasy uh they nailed it uh (laughs) i love the characters um i think like some of the marketing about the game um and also just some of the like 2010s-ness of the reaction uh, leads to the situation where like when you, when you talk about the game you're like the main the game stars lightning but that's not true that's just not true she's just not the main yeah. character of this video game uh first of all it's an ensemble piece it cuts between all the characters basically equally and then when you get to the end you can pick your party right uh other than being on the box uh lightning's not really the main character of this story i would say um i would say this is the vanilla story Fun- fundamentally vanilla is the main character of this game yes um 100 agreed and it's about her uh, trying to like fix this thing that happened in the past, um, and it's a big reason that the game was received the way it was because Vanille is like bubbly, genki Japanese character who was localized in a very specific way where she had to match the vocalizations of the Japanese voice actor. Like exactly, this is famous fact about the thirteen localization. <laughs> um, 
and uh don't really necessarily love that choice but i think like within those constraints it's a good performance and uh her character's really interesting and good and was not received well at all like when you hear people talk about the game even a lot of people like it like oh vanille's really annoying um but i don't get it she's She's the character like standing next to the Hulk going, do something! Or like pushing Snow into doing things or pushing Saturn into doing things. Her role in the first half of the game is you have all these characters trapped in stasis by whatever trauma or conflict they're in and Vanilla is generally the one saying, okay, but like do something about that. Like in the real world, like, like do things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she's like clearly driven by uh, by her guilt. Like the fact that a lot of this is her fault uh, or at least she perceives it to be her fault. Uh, and uh, she's navigating the space where she is trying to uh, push people to do things, trying to sort of uh, help sort of uh, make up for this mistake she she feels she's made, uh, but also uh, afraid of the reaction from all these people were they to find out uh, her role in this, who she actually is. Uh, so uh, she does things in a very like, uh, like part of, she is like a sort of uh, bubbly uh happy-go-lucky girl but a lot of that is like pretense yes uh, she is like putting that on and uh there are points in the game where she is like quite manipulative but in a way that's like she's clearly doing this because she thinks it is like the right thing to do she thinks it is good for to, uh for the people for the situation at hand to do this but uh it's it's just a really interesting note of her character that uh She's like really playing into uh, this performance to hide uh, what she's actually trying to accomplish, and I think uh, the uh, in, in a similar way to I think how like uh, the contrast between uh, Titus's voice in the narration in Ten and his voice in the game, mm-hmm. uh, Vanille is like a narrator for certain points. Like she she pops in as a narrative uh, a narrator voice at certain points, and her voice there is much more mature and measured. And uh, it's still recognizably vanille, but in a way that's like, this is the vanille that isn't putting on anything. Uh, and I find that sort of contrast really, really interesting. And she's probably my favorite character in the game. Yeah. Uh, like, if vanille was on the box, everyone would say, this is vanille's game, right? Like, I feel like it wouldn't be an argument about this. It's purely in the marketing that, like, Lightning's the cool character. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't have the main thing going on in the story. She's just kind of like there for the ride. She's, you know, all the main characters have have the role, but Vanille is central to the plot. Everything that happens happens because of what Vanille did. Vanille's the reason uh, that Sarah gets branded in the first place, kicks off the entire plot. Uh, Vanille's the like solution at the end of the plot with Fang. Um, it's her story uh, in the way that you know. Uh, listen to my story, <laughs> um, Final Fantasy <laughs> Ten, uh, and. It's interesting that like she's often cited as the weak link, the weak link, or at least back in the time. I feel like times have changed. Uh, a lot of the reaction of this uh, to this game is so caught up in the ideas of what was seen as good in 2010. Yeah, uh, at least in the West, uh, that there's a lot of arguing that's like shadow boxing with people that have no stake anymore, right? Like we don't need to necessarily spend all the mm-hmm. time uh, arguing with 2010 games journalists. Uh, Adam Sassler is doing fucking transphobic rants on Twitter. He do, he's not worthy of consideration anymore. I don't even know what he thinks about JRPGs every other day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Vanille's uh, great. Uh, I think, uh, honestly, I, I like all the characters. Uh, uh, Lightning might actually be the character I have the least emotions about in 13, mm-hmm. in terms of like the main cast. Uh, I, I like her well enough, but she is... Uh, uh, I, I, I don't get enough um, in, 
as in rotating her in my head as much as I do. Uh, even characters like Snow, who sucks, textually sucks. Textually is the worst guy ever. Ruined everything for everyone. Uh, but uh, I think the fact, the reason that he is this kind of awful guy is is really interesting. He is a kind of uh frictive force uh frictive, frictive force in the party that i really appreciate yeah uh like uh, lightning and hope being like what the fuck is wrong with this guy every time they meet him <laughs> uh <laughs> is is good stuff yeah I, I i like lightning in the first game but i also think that, like this time i read episode zero and fragments before and i read all the like ancillary stuff that um has only been translated into english like in 2019 so great job on the timing there square uh, <laughs> Uh, everyone's raring to go to read final fantasy 13 episode zero um uh which i think those books are pretty good they give lightning uh the the lightning stuff in the prologue is like really good and gives her a lot of grounding it goes into her history and is like when she turned 15 her parents died she like abandoned the name claire or doesn't say claire because it's meant to be a twist in the game that she's called claire and just she's so fucking tuny she's the most tuniest (laughs) loser who's ever lived uh one of my favorite plot points is that like She's going around doing the cloud thing, right? She's like, I, I was like, I'm an ex-soldier, uh, but I've joined the purge and I'm fighting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to God Himself and kill him. Uh, but she was a beat cop for like two weeks. You meet her boss, and he's just like this fat guy. He's like, Yeah, I guess you can, you can take the day off, whatever. Um, because she's not a soldier. She never was. She was like working for the uh, Bodom Security Regiment, which is the, the fucking cops. They're like and not in in like a real world way of oh cocoon doesn't have like police unions beating everyone up they're just the the fucking beach cops at her seaside town Mm. um nothing not a cool girl at all uh which is important for lightning's character to me yeah there's like a motif of like facade running through the game like uh yeah we've talked about the thing with vanille but also uh lightning sort of front of being the 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 edgy anime protagonist uh snow keeps insisting that he is a hero uh and and but no his yes his actions do not support this assertion um and uh i think it's really interesting how a lot of that stuff plays out. i think some of my favorite stuff in the game is uh when with lightning and hope when they're running around uh and there's great stuff where uh hope has seen his mother die in front of him and blames snow i would say fairly rightfully uh for what happened uh and lightning is like all right kid you're gonna come with me but you gotta toughen up you gotta you, you gotta be you gotta be cool like me uh and her slowly watching as hopes like you know maybe maybe murder is the solution maybe i should just kill that guy and lightning going uh-oh what, what, what have i done here uh, i've taught this like child to stab my uh sister's like husband um Yes, fiance. At this point, they never actually get. They never. They never get married because Snow. Because across all three games, I'm fairly sure Snow and Sarah have hung out for about two weeks, all told. Um, but ridiculous. Uh, yeah, the the hope, hope and lightning stuff's great. Uh, I think the hope and lightning and Sars and Vanille stuff is like the, my favorite stuff in the game. Um, yeah. As like the pressure points for these characters are really turned up. Like it's high melodrama. This is truly the highest melodrama Final Fantasy's ever had, probably. Um, maybe not ever, but I do think, like, the specific error of it and the fact that it's all voice acted and it's all, like, shots of rain pouring down when lightning uh, hits the, the ground and not not the character, but, like, you know, Saza standing in the rain trying to shoot himself in the face and Vanille's like, I am the one who ended the world and it, it's high drama at all times. Yeah, uh, uh, there's, like, 
a soap operatic stuff too, especially um, the way a lot of uh, stuff with Vanille and Saz is framed. Yes. Uh, with like the specific uh, sort of twist is that uh, not only is kind of like Vanille feel responsible for the things that happened, but uh, Daj's, uh, oh, sorry, Saz's son Daj uh, has been like turned into uh, a tool of the cocoon state uh, and is essentially doomed uh, to live a life as a mineral um, because of actions that uh, Vanille and her girlfriend Fang did when they first uh, woke back up uh, on Cocoon. So there's a lot of like, uh, Saz says something uh, that is re- entirely reasonable uh, for him as like uh, a father feeling these emotions and has also been like brainwashed from birth to believe that uh, this this land pulse is the most evil, horrible place in the world, and everyone from there is a, is a demon. Um, and then, like, uh, cutting to shots of, like, Vanille looking like, trying to pretend like she hasn't heard the most devastating thing in her entire life. Uh, and there's a shot that really sticks with me of just, like, this is the high melodrama of what this doing is. They're, like, waiting for a, a, a fairy, I think, and Vanille goes to stand outside in the rain yes. outside the shelter so that uh, uh, Saz can't see that she's crying. Uh, and that, that, that start really stuck with me as like, okay, this is, this is the level this game is operating on and it's very good at it. Yeah, uh, which like kind of brings us to like the, the broad themes of the game, right? Where it's doing the classic JRPG thing of there are all these roles chosen by god and we have to go kill god and free humanity from the shackles of whatever uh blah 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 blah, blah. uh very generic um but the complications that i think that 13 makes in this are really smart in the there's multiple gods uh they're also searching for a different higher god uh because fabian lover crystallis etc etc yes Etro's gate <laughs> um but like the fact that everyone has these destinies by God, like Yuna's chosen by as a summoner, right? Yuna and the, the sin cycle is, is established, but it's just the one, the one situation. There's the one church, the one evil, the one cycle. Uh, this has like four of them happening at once, and they're at war with each other. Um, yes, uh, which and... leads to situations where they're like, well, if we kill one God, then like, wh- who's benefits from this? Right? There's no, there's no universal power structure. There's just different things fighting for their own objectives. Yeah, I think like it parallels a lot of like the stuff early on in the game where the characters are all split up, uh, kind of working towards the same thing, but also driven by their own sort of like specific motivations and how they uh, want to operate it. Uh, and then you find out essentially later in the game that uh, the, the the level the gods are happening on is essentially the exact same thing, uh, where they're yes. all working towards this like nebulously defined goal, um, the same goal, but. Uh, they all have different ideas of how to do it and they're competing with each other uh, and uh, there's a real sense of uh, they're, they they are operating on like a same kind of uh, a different power level than us but they're still riddled with the same kind of baggage that we have. They're just kind of uh, they have all this power they can use to uh, inflict their flavor of this onto other people. Yes. Uh, and I think that stuff's like really good. Like I, I really like when you go to Pulse, right? And you see what the Pulse Falsi are like, and it's just a very different way of being like engaged with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Pulse Falsi do the same thing for the Pulse humans, right? They nurture them, they they raise them, uh, but they do it by like I was 
cultivating the land, but not even cultivating. They're like tunneling through the land. They're like adjusting the space to be lived in in a way that like is symbiotic with the people on it. Um, one of the things you learn about Pulse uh, is that there aren't like families in the same way. Like Vanille gets there and she's, she's like, well, everyone was my family. Like the town is a family. The unit of mm-hmm. culture uh, is the town, not this like familial thing that everyone in the game is obsessed with. Like Sarah's, uh, Sarah's lightning sister, uh, you know, uh, Snow's fiance, uh, Saz is out for his kid. Uh, everyone is like trying to save that they're one familial relation to all things. And Pulse is like, but we're just a community trying to like subsist. Uh, uh, in the world because it doesn't have the same like industrialization um mm-hmm. and i just thought that stuff was like really interesting and not in like a, oh this game's like secretly communist type way because it's not doing it <laughs> that far um and i wouldn't want it to i but i do think it's like saying something about like the relationship to like nature uh and culture and like the world and it like really digs into 13.2 which goes harder on this when they move to pulse but they bring the virus with them and they fucking make cocoon again yep uh yeah, like uh, there, there's and and there's a kind of similar thing happening. Like, uh, like the opposed thing on like Cocoon uh, is that you find out late in the game that Cocoon has essentially existed as like a big uh, incubation chamber uh, to let humanity grow and uh, reproduce to to a point where the gods can just like sacrifice them all in one big gesture uh, to uh, open Etro's gate. Uh, I think they'll find destroy orphan. I don't. They, I don't know what Etro's gate is. No one said that. <laughs> uh, that yeah, they are uh, essentially building uh, a big sacrificial chamber for the entire human race. Um, and I think there's like an interesting contrast happening between uh, the way like the pulse gods want to do this is they want to like create uh, like powerful like individuals. Um, but in a way that is like, uh, they send their Lassie to like fight monsters. And there's a, there's a side quest post game, uh, content thing where you meet the Falsy Titan. And he's essentially doing this like, uh, survival of the fittest thing where he's like getting all the, the strongest creatures of Pulse and sort of fighting them against each other to create the, uh, a super powerful, almost agito you might describe, uh, <laughs> Uh, creature um and but uh there is a because uh of the familiar relationship uh that uh the pulse people have uh it's very clear that their plan has just like completely failed because by the time you get to pulse there's nobody there like it's it's all done uh and i think my probably my favorite visual of the game is uh, when you reach uh, the village that Vanille and Fang are from, uh, you can see that like uh, what looks like sand, uh, initially you get closer and it's like crystal dust. And it's like, this is all the people who were like, uh, eventually the pulse gods seemingly just turned everyone into the sea and they all eventually just became seeth or turned to minerals and things like that and all just like drifted away in the wind. Uh, and it's like, the, a really powerful sense of well this like idea this system of uh doing things this is where it leads and accordingly it's the point in the game where the character's like right we need to go back to cocoon we need to uh kill the gods we need to sort this out um and i really like that the game builds uh it's uh sort of shared visual iconography to point where it can say that without 
explicitly stating it of a character saying, "Oh, this is what it, what is happening here." And I think that is what like the the much derided like proper nouns and stuff. I think that's what it buys you is that you do build up this knowledge that lets you uh, see. Uh, make these connections sort of yourself when it all kind of coalesces. Uh, unfortunately, uh, not every aspect of the game that tries to play into this does it quite as successfully. <laughs> yeah, there are moments, but it's a very explainy game. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think a big a problem is the wrong one, but I think one thing I couldn't stop thinking of playing this game is that if I was to like remake this game in RPG Maker or whatever, I'd make a SNES version of of this and i was at the best of my abilities and i was cooking so hard um like it wasn't brought down by me being shit at that as i guess but by, uh, <laughs> like i feel like this would be seen as a truly truly classic final fantasy um it's only like brought down by um just some of the realities of pacing itself as a 20 hours of real-time voice cutscenes game um and specifically like the way it can't do storytelling in battles or in uh, like everything the cutscene the thing i think of is sid reigns uh and there's a scene toward the end where you've already fought sid reigns and he's uh turned to crystal but he's been brought back uh by Bartandalus in order to be the like puppet leader of the evil uh government uh and he's a new pope they've made a twink the pope yeah uh, he's the young pope um <laughs> even though he was the like leader of the cavalry before which was the aforementioned good military um and now the cavalry are like they feel betrayed they're like oh you were a puppet all along you've been led here to like set us up uh and they go to kill him uh and they kill him uh they, his friend kills him and he's like crying at the end because he was like this is my existence right it's setting me free uh in 100 hours i'll show up in another game and you'll be like oh fuck it's sid reigns <laughs> <laughs> and that moment um should be fucking masterpiece shit it's like pure final fantasy but it would be in a game where i was in a battle and i played a sid reigns and i had to not attack i just like let my friend kill me but it's a cutscene. yeah uh th there's a really interesting sort of like uh a good point of comparison for this is uh whenever uh the party gains their like lacy powers uh they do it in a cutscene. i think like someone just like uh accidentally like fires off like a fireball and everyone's like oh my god you did magic only lacy are supposed to be able to do that we must be lacy now uh and the thing i think of is in final fantasy 6 where when you cast magic as terra for the first time uh uh, Edgar freaks out and starts jumping all over the screen in the middle of the battle screen going, did you see that? That was magic. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and there's a degree to where, uh, and part of this I think is, um, you know, th this was a truly cobbled together at the last minute game. Yes. Um, but there is a, a degree of separation between uh, when story is happening and when gameplay is happening. Um, that is, that, that often, uh, produces a slightly alienating effect where uh, it's just that little bit harder to uh, invest in the totality of the experience. Uh, yeah, I feel like this has been true uh, with every game since um, probably after 10 or 10-2. I don't, I don't actually remember if there are any uh, storytelling moments in Battle in 10-2. Um, but definitely like post-12, uh, these games haven't really put storytelling in the combat in the same way. Like, famously uh when 
Tugter is talking about like Final Fantasy IV, and then he goes on to make Live Alive and um, Chrono Trigger. Uh, he comes from theatre, and you can see that when like this, the battle, the the 2D turn-based battle system is a stage, and you have a dialogue at the top, uh, and it creates these like narrative moments uh, within the same language that you are like playing the game in. And those have uh, basically entirely gone away. I guess you could say the closest equivalent is the quick time events in 13.2 and 16. Um, but I, I, I feel like they have an entirely different language. It's not the same thing. Because um, I, I keep thinking about how disappointed I was in the um, much memed on uh, plus L3 and R3 to accept the truth moment. And that it's the same as the they did that in 4, but in 4, like, you have to not attack. It, you, it's not just a super meter, right? It's not tutorializing yeah. you about how you can do more damage. Um I think that like robs the moment uh, of its like impact and putting it into the play. Uh, and yeah, 13 never, never does anything like that. There's moments in there that I'm like, they could have done that, um, but they don't. <laughs> they don't do that. Uh, and it is definitely one of the limitations of the design that they have going on here. Yeah. Uh, and there's a similar level of uh, the thing that really struck me uh, when I was replaying this, uh, Final Fantasy 13. Uh, I'm getting to the end and uh, I think there's like a Gnostic aspect of the game that really like shoots into high gear in mm -hmm. the end where uh, you see Etro's gate, uh, which is like this, it looks like this big mechanical eye, but it's like a big part of like the lore of Thalbia Nova Crystallis uh, starts appearing in cutscenes. And it's like even like behind, it's like hiding behind the final boss the whole time. Uh, and it's just kind of like present in the environment. Um, and such that they, they clearly know that the lore is clearly written down somewhere at Square Enix. They are engaging with this. This is what they are trying to communicate. Um, but there is uh, a separation there because by the time the game came out, nobody knew what Etcher's Gate was. They wouldn't explain this for another couple of years. So it's really hard to actually understand that. I think what the game is doing there in this moment is that like... Uh, in a way, uh, the baddies' plan has like already worked with like the people they've killed already. In that they they have woken a, f a presence of God, but God is like merciful in a way, or is like not sort of like interested in engaging with their plan, or they don't they don't recognize God because they are uh, very material. Like all the Falci are robots essentially, um, but. Uh, the idea that someone in 2009 can just intuit that that is what is going on is is just like incomprehensible to me because I, it doesn't explain any of this stuff. And What's I think even that worse is kind than that? Of, it gives explanations that are fucking lies. It just lies to you about what happens at the end of the video game. <laughs> so, end of the video game. They go to Fire by Tandless, and one of the things that's been interesting is it has um, what I like to call the Metal Gear Solid 4 going on, where the entire game uh, is every single character saying there are two things that need to happen, uh, or... In Metal Gear Solid 4, it's the, uh, we need to destroy the Patriots, but we don't want to, like, destroy the entire world. We cannot, those two things are, like, you can't do both of them. Destroying the Patriots destroys the world. Turns out that's not true, because the ending of Metal Gear Solid 4 fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> and this has a similar thing, where they're like, we have to, like, free ourselves and kill God, but, like, one of us has to turn into Ragnarok. That has to fucking happen, um, because it's, like, the th we don't have the ability to just make it up, right? We can't just say, oh, I've made the impossible possible and, and uh, change it. Something has to, like, we have to do something to do that, and no one knows what it is. They just keep walking into scenes being like, we'll figure it out at some point later on. <laughs> and uh, what ends up happening uh, is they aren't able to stop it. Uh, everyone turns into Seaths, and... 
uh, Fang becomes Ragnarok. That happens. It happens in the game, um, and it's fucking a really cool moment, uh, especially as like Vanille's screaming as Fang is like abandoning everything Vanille wants of her to end the world for her. Uh, beautiful. I think that stuff is incredible. There's uh, a shot where one of the Seath is like trying to pick up lightning swords. Uh, that's really stuck with me. I was like, that's a really cool shot. Yeah. And then that all gets undone and they kill God. And you're like, hang on a minute, what happened? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it turns out what happened will be explained in two years and is very, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> um, but they do keep like, ah, oh, we did it with our own power. And we overcome, but you, what, do you mean? what do you mean you did it with your own power? You were all fucking wrote minerals 10 seconds ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> and the game just doesn't explain that. If you don't know that this was Etro's intervention, because you don't know who the fuck Etro is, <laughs> because you're playing the video game Final Fantasy 13, then you're on your own. Baffling. Square Enix, what is wrong with you people? Yeah, and it's like, uh, that is like the limitation of it, of the sort of, uh, the framework of we're going to like establish a bunch of cool lore and use that to um, create a lot of like interesting sort of like visual symbolism and stuff like that. Because uh, I do think like Etro's Gate is on its own is like a very cool visual. It is like, yes. like I said, there's like a mechanical eye that is like the presence of God. I like that a lot. But uh, because they, because, because it's like, it feels almost like uh, when... Uh, a friend is explaining uh, their really cool uh, film script uh, yes. to you, but they have only they don't they haven't explained like the thirty percent that makes it all cohere. So it's just like here's just a series of like images and ideas, and it's like okay, but you haven't given me the glue that sticks this together. Uh, and uh, I think you know the game does like a, like I said, I really like the stuff in uh, Erba and stuff and the other stuff, but. Uh, it really does come up to uh, the limitations of its approach uh, in the end. And they do, like I say, uh, they, they work with it and make it some, something really cool in time for 13.2. Um, but I do think also uh, the, the idea of at the end of these games, we come up against the limitations of the framework we've set for ourselves is a problem that will reemerge. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Truly it will. Um, but I... Despite despite the uh, like Gurnagarnness of it all, and that we're going to make the impossible possible, I think that the thirteen um, ending still still works for me, and it's specifically because of um, like they aren't able to stop it. Uh, Ragnarok still happens, uh, and the ultimate solution is for like Vanille and Fang to turn into crystal and hold up the world. Uh, and the evocativeness of that imagery and the focus on like it being Vanille's sacrifice to like choose this kind of eternal love of generically tragically doomed lesbians uh which is i know a thing that's got a lot of criticism but i will pop every time sorry i you know i like when there's tragically doomed lesbians in my anime <laughs> um, uh and it's fucking good it's good it, it's an incredible ending um but it is really funny how this is maybe the peak of the like limitations of making a video game in 2010 uh it communicates this through Leona Lewis playing as this like ridiculous like sunrise <laughs> happens, uh, and also everyone who turned into crystal like shows up like, and I'm like okay, if Cocoon was a sprite right and the sprite held out and then Dodge and Sarah walked into frame as sprites and everyone reacted and I'm like holy shit it's you I wouldn't blink I'd be like this is the coolest thing ever, when it is real characters in a th theoretically like cogent space and also they're about to make this like the spatial relations of the character standing in this field so deeply <laughs> important to the law that it's not even funny in a way that i'm like i would i would have let that be abstract guys <laughs> um cartoonish cartoonish stuff because i i truly think like the actual like events of this ending uh are like 
15 tier in terms of the high sacrifice of melodrama. Everyone should be crying at Vanilla Fang. Um, and I still am, but it, it is held back by just how <laughs> fucking lifetime movie it all is. Yeah, I, I do think that, like, uh, I don't think it would work as well for me if the game did not kind of take the time to articulate why the life of Vanille and Fang is so different from the lives of the Cocoon Party members. Yes. Uh, it, so it, it really, really works for me that they are the ones to sort of uh, make this kind of decision of, okay, we're going to, like, uh, sacrifice ourselves because I, th- I think they just have a sense of like community that the cocoon characters really don't and will continue not to have <laughs> well the logic of it and the thing that i i really like is it, it's doing the generic like our bonds are what make a strong ending which they'll do again in a couple games and it'll fucking suck um <laughs> but i like about it here is the whole game is about one of you will turn into Ragnarok and end the world. And no one ever asks, what if more, what if we both turn into Ragnarok? Like together, will that change the like process? And the answer is yes. And I, I'm sure there's a lore explanation for how it was actually the blah, blah, blah. I don't know. In the imagery <laughs> of the ending, that's what happens, right? Is they decide to both make the like trip into this uh, supernatural world together rather than just one of them accepting, like, I'm just going to destroy the world myself. Uh, and that's what saves everyone. And I think that comes through really well at the end of this game. It's very good. I love Vanilla Fang so much yeah uh they're great uh yeah like the, the leon lewis thing is funny because uh when i was replaying the game i just felt so powerfully uh on so on every level there will never be a game like this again no uh, just in just, so many ways in so many uh, yeah and it's like even in sense of like uh there's almost something like this feels like a post Call of Duty four Final Fantasy in some ways. Yes, uh, there's like, like there's more on terror stuff going on, but also like uh, the sense of like pacing and linearity also feels like uh, in conversation with that. Uh, and it's just like people would not think to make a JRPG in this sense again. Uh, every aspect of this game is like such so powerfully 2009 that it anchors itself in that moment for all time in a way that I think is kind of beautiful and also deeply funny at points. It's it's really good. I do want to just like airlift whatever source was in the Star Wars prequels back to Square Enix because <laughs> they were huffing that shit something crazy in the 20, in the two thousands. Uh, this game and thirteen two especially are just the most Star Wars prequels games. Twelve is also full of Star Wars prequel shit. Like the game begins with the Naboo parade, like exactly shot for shot, uh, and it did lead to my favorite aesthetic era of the series. So crazy, I guess. I guess I want I want it yeah. back. Uh, which is, I guess, a good transition point to talk about 13-2. Uh, not to uh, give the game away, our favourite one, by like a million bajillion miles. Yes, 100% agreed. Um, love uh, it. Absolutely love it. Because it's all about... So, if 10 was about killing God and like, oh, that doesn't solve anything with 10-2, uh, 13 is about, okay, we there are lots of gods and I guess we killed one of them. Um, 13-2 is about, what if you're the god that gets killed? <laughs> yeah yeah because Uh, it turns out that all that stuff happened at the end of the game when they were like oh we're doing it with our own will only happened because a different god intervened on their side and now the entire party like god's good actually it's our friend now uh (laughs) our world's the right one uh and so you have the premise is uh the etro's gate opening caused like a chaos to like secede into the human world because chaos is like from the souls of humans and a lot of people died that was the plan already it was to open etro's gate chaos bled in there's some retcons on this later uh but that's functionally what happens in 32 is that etro intervening caused a paradox in the timeline uh which like sucked lightning back into like valhalla uh the uh unseen realm at the end of the world 
outside of time. And so Lightning has to, like, restore the timeline by drafting Sarah into a mission that will kill her. She doesn't really understand this, but she is drafting her into a mission that'll kill her by giving her uh, the eyes of Etro to yeah. see the timeline. And she teams up with Null, who is from the end of the world and after 700 AF, uh, which is when the, the cocoon pillar was made and fell down, uh, to decipher the mystery of why the world's going to end and try to stop it and try to protect the timeline uh, and they use the language of protecting the timeline but that's just not true that's just not what's happening in the game when every time they say true timeline they mean the timeline where things that are good happen to us uh, yes because uh, yeah it's they it's, fail oh, sorry go ahead. Uh, <laughs> they fail yeah, and the world ends <laughs> Uh, they feel the world ends, and also every step of the way, uh, there is this like uh, sense of and characters will like uh, a character called uh, one of the new characters Yule, who is like a person who's like reincarnated into every timeline as this uh, same girl. Uh, she basically says like, "Listen, every time you change the timeline, you're like erasing another timeline that was like meaningful to others." Uh, from existence like it's very uh chrono cross in that yes. way uh there's a character you meet early on who uh is like working for uh hope's new science fascist government let's go with his <laughs> shitty little tie let's go i love him so much he's so evil uh oh, hope in this game is one of the all-time final fantasy characters to me uh and maybe my favorite Final Fantasy villain. Uh, he's so good. Uh, but yeah, you meet this character who's worked for him and you find out that uh, originally she died in the purge at the start of Final Fantasy thirteen, And because of the changes in the timeline, uh, uh, something changed and now she is like alive again. Uh, and But she is like slightly aware of the fact that she there is a timeline where she died and she's also aware that the true timeline that the characters are fighting for is the one where she's going to die so uh she is like fighting against uh it's only really comes up like uh towards the very end the very offhand way it's like a a twist and it's put in one of the paradox endings yeah um but it's like it's a very powerful sense of uh there is no easy way out there's no simple yes answer this solves everything uh every decision that you make has consequences that uh will deprive a future for others even if it creates one for yourself yeah uh and that stuff's really good like it's very chrono cross when i and i also adore chrono cross um yes I think it's just very good at doing classic melancholy time travel stuff. A lot of the game is doing these little side quests where you pop between eras and different variants of worlds. And the little side quests are like, this version of me wasn't ever meant to exist. And, oh, I can feel the echoes of like a past that shouldn't have been. And just, you know, classic. We're doing time travel supernatural stories here. Uh, but I think it gets a real good tone of melancholy about the like, it's all... When you do a story about 700 years, it's inevitably about death, right? It's the only thing you can do because people don't live more than 700 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. Asterisk. But it's inevitable what it is, and you see all these like different perspectives in the side quests, and uh, I think it's fucking incredible uh, the ways uh, in which the just like tone of like, oh, I I want to go to see this like view or how, get this little item that was only made at this time, and you bring it back, and like, oh, how did you get it in this time? And the side quests are not like that great; they're just fetch quests. Uh, but I think they all tie into this like tone really well. The, the cumulative effect is just very good. 
yeah, uh, there's this real sense of uh, the it's not articulated to like very, uh, basically lightning shows up near the very end to essentially explain the entire plot of the game to you yes. in the cutscene. Um, and, uh, in the stuff that you said about, uh, Etro intervening and lightning getting sucked into Valhalla. Um, and there is a sense that, uh, that this has like destabilized, not just like the timeline, but like almost everyone's lives in a way. Uh, everyone, so many characters in this game feel like there is like this, thing missing from them or things being deprived from them uh, in a way that is uh they only ever they get like these fleeting glimpses of uh through the other timelines and through sarah and noel's actions but it doesn't actually make their lives feel complete in any way um i think this sort of leads to uh where the story ends up going in, in later stages where um hope uh the 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 villain is essentially he is like aware of like the the eventual apocalypse where the crystal pillar is going to collapse uh and he comes up with a solution uh, he's going to make cocoon 2 uh and he's going to get pack everybody up and go on to cocoon 2 and you see as time progresses uh that start to manifest uh he's he builds coruscant uh, as all, like like a cocoon 1.5 uh and everyone in Coruscant is really weird uh and there is this sense that like humanity has uh not necessarily like lost something but there is in chasing this thing that is missing from their lives uh they have not found anything constructive and they are just kind of like going back to the things that they maybe not necessarily even felt worked before but just the things that they recognized before and are redoing those to try to say, well, will, will it work again this time? Uh, let's, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Well, it's, it's even like more pronounced than that because it's like, so they, they kill the gods and everyone's like, okay, we were like, we were fed by Falci. We were raised by Falci. The entire, our entire existence was dictated by these Falci. Um, and so they make a new government, right? They get rid of the government. They make a new government. It's called academia because academia is learning and, and knowledge and the pursuit of human truth, right? It is, it is the, a society, not of gods, but of like science and learning, right? It's the, the thing they made there. And the thing academia does is about five minutes later is invent a new god. It's so good. <laughs> like the first thing the hope does is to make the proto-Falci, um, which immediately kills everyone 500 years in the future, by the way, just like a disastrous idea. Yeah. Uh, and so you have like a, a large chunk of the game is undoing the paradox of hope accidentally ended the world even earlier than was meant to happen <laughs> um, <laughs> by making the proto Falci, but then by making the proto Falci, the proto Falci sent like a, itself back in time to make itself in an endless paradox, uh, killing hope, assassinating him and taking over the government. Uh, so in the original timeline, humans being in charge lasts about five minutes before they get themselves time assassinated. So well done there, <laughs> hope. Uh, but you solve that. Uh, and they they like managed to make make it properly without the uh, Falci taking over and making everyone seats. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't fundamentally change the plan, right? He's still doing the same thing. Yeah, he's he is still uh, like he does not say, hmm, maybe uh, recreating 
the 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 torture machine that existed to kill all humans uh, explicitly. That's what it was for. Maybe <laughs> maybe reinventing that, but with a nicer paint job, uh, wasn't actually a good idea. Uh, I'm just going to like uh, uh, adjust the the empathy uh, dial uh, on my on my murder machine, and it'll work out probably. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, uh, that stuff's fantastic. I love just the little vignettes of episodes in this game the the things they do with time travel like so the whole mystery is about why is the pillar going to fall um and there is no other it just it because it fell because it's being held up by a crystal like there's no there's ultimately no fucking answer right no there's like there was a war and then eventually you find like is it the flan coming from the chaos to bring it down <laughs> oh, which is beautiful absolutely beautiful bit there's like six hours of the game where you're trying to stop the flan from ending the world um i love it i love final fantasy so much um but through all these variants, the answer is it's just going to fall because it's a massive crystal of massive crystal pillar holding up an entire world. Uh, it won't last forever, and I love that. I love that so much. Um, and it all like leads up to uh, the like we're gonna evacuate to the new world, and <laughs> no one else. Hey, a lot of people are living on the surface of this. Like they're still everyone's on the surface is still gonna get like Noel's future isn't prevented. Cocoon still falls, <laughs> uh, even in hopes like best outcome. Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, uh, th- there is like this sort of uh, underlying motif of like uh, pulse. Being on pulse has like changed humans in some way, yes. but uh, humans have also changed pulse in the same way. Uh, humans can like cast magic now, but also five hundred thirteen presented it as very much there are no humans left in pulse they're all dead uh 13.2 suggests that there are there were still some running around that maybe we didn't see uh but by the time uh of like um you eventually go into like a slightly future version of the big open level from final fantasy 13 and you see what appears to be like a uh like a pulse society but it turns out they're all people from cocoon who are like cosplaying essentially yes uh they are even the people who are like rejecting the idea of like cocoon they are still just sort of uh pillaging images and elements of the past and like grafting to them to themselves uh instead of actually uh trying to solve any problems or do anything new uh they are just kind of uh living in uh prior moments forever um and with all that like said about the world uh into this steps a hero <laughs> Yes, um, and you will notice that, like as described, uh, that sounds a lot like the world of Final Fantasy Thirteen, where they have was a like fake world, like ruled by uh, gods, where everyone's like fate was decided, and it's here it's like hopes made this evil future. Um, but fundamentally, it's a very similar situation. Uh, and maybe what if there was a JRPG hero to come in and kill God and in some way fundamentally shake the nature of the world uh, that will actually change things which is what you did last time and you were the good guys and now here to do this this time is the bad guy Caius Ballard the hero of history who sees all this and is like fuck it <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing it down um, yeah uh, specifically so cool. it's like um, I, I, I've often wondered because I remember uh, 
uh, reading about like uh, a lot of the development stuff for thirteen two was like specifically designed to respond to a lot of like the Western complaints about thirteen yes. uh, about too linear. So this is like a very open game with lots of side quests. Um, and I've often wondered because part of Caius's motivation is he is like uh, he is like an immortal the sea who's chosen to be like the guardian of Yule, uh, this Cirrus who can see the future, can like see the timeline. Um, who is also, uh, because of the chaos entering the world and because the timelines are all out of flux and changing constantly, uh, whenever she sees the timeline change, uh, it, it kills her, essentially. It, it like uh, hurts her in some way and eventually she can't take it and she dies. Uh, and Caius, who is the, the guardian, has seen this happen uh, countless times and uh, eventually decides, I, I, I'm putting an end to this. This, this is evil and... Uh, I, I have watched this uh, young girl uh, die, and so I, I'm motivated into action in a way that like calls to mind a lot of Western uh, action game protagonists. Like he, uh, obviously, he is much more heroic than this character, but he has like a similar reaction, like Joel from The Last of Us, where uh, this uh, young girl in his care uh, is like put into threat, and uh, he responds in a certain way. Um, I've always thought that was like interesting, but I think Caius yes. Ballad is, like I say, a lot more compelling of a character than a lot of those people because um, he he is more straightforwardly heroic and also put into the antagonist role. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would put this in uh, alongside another Square Enix game of doing the exact same thing of like, it's the end of the world. Uh, we have a hero that is just uh, not ripping off, but like in conversation with the uh, Western dad games that are actually about to precede it uh, like follow it um and like this final fantasy 10 uh, 13 2 is basically uh, like very close to near to me like near gestalt specifically mm-hmm. um like uh one of the most affecting moments of the game uh i genuinely think it's like one of the most beautiful things that any of these games has done uh is when you finally uh, end up i think it's in a dream you end up in yule's world you see uh, in, in uh, Null's world uh, which is also yule's world i guess but yule's all the time but you end up in Null's world and it's just there's like a simple guitar song playing and like the redness of the sky under like a barely rendered environment because the light level's so low uh, yes. and you just see the end of all things and it's like overwhelming it's incredible yeah uh i think like Final Fantasy XIII is very obviously a uh, much lower budget than Final Fantasy XIII. has a lot of reused assets. It, yes. it just doesn't look as good. Uh, but the moments where I think um, it does sort of like visually uh, cohere, I think it can create some really striking image. And this is one of them of like, you get to the end of the world and li- it is a world where like light has bled out of it completely. Like there is... Uh, it, it looks like an image where the contrast is like fucked up when yes. you've been fiddling in Photoshop. Uh, it's really striking and cool. Uh, yeah, the red sky over like the shadow environment. It's it's amazing. It's like truly aesthetically incredible uh, as, a, and as an achievement for this team. Um, and I also think that like gives Caius a really important context because there's a lot of JRPG villains who see the suffering in the world and decide, what if I end everything, right? That's, that, that's a lot of... That is, yes. generally speaking, uh, a often boring uh, antagonistic role. Um, but the specific context of you also see the end of the world and there is only death, right? That's a fact. It's not like a thing that a villain says abstractly. It's there. I can see it. It's only 700 years away. Caius is right. <laughs> like making that true uh, and having the protagonist go and see it completely changes what it means to have a character say, like, what if we gave into the darkness? Because it's coming already. Um, 
and it's like almost there. Uh, that like the end of the game happens two hundred years before that's meant to happen, right? It's nothing. It's nothing, uh, and I think that like that's a really impactful choice. It's really good. Yeah, I, I think it's really uh, underscored by you meet Caius a few times before you get to this point, and like. Originally, the first time you meet him, he's not, he doesn't know who you are, because obviously, uh, you know, it's a time travel story, you're meeting each other in, like, the wrong order. Um, uh, but also, he's not directly antagonistic. Uh, he eventually becomes that. But when you meet uh, the Caius uh, that is, like, contemporary, is like, this is Noel's, like, original Caius, uh, before Noel starts traveling through time with you. Um, he is, like, essentially, like, he is uh, a brother or like father figure to Noel. He's like training him to be the new guardian of the Cirrus. Uh, and then eventually this, you get this like flashback sequence. And at the end, Caius just like lays out his plan and says, all right, Noel, uh, let's do this. Uh, if you uh, defeat me, if you destroy the heart of Etro that exists within me, then we can, we can solve all this. And the fact that he just like very calmly just like lays out his plan in very clear terms, um, I think really sells like, the heroic aspects of his character in a way that like say uh seymour from five minus ten yelling about oh i'm going to i'm going to kill everyone and i'm going to start with you and things like that just it doesn't read the same way uh i think the game is like very intentional in making caius even when he's saying like i'm going to end the world i'm going to just destroy everything uh he he seems like sympathetic and very for a guy who's like you know voiced by Liam O'Brien doing oh, the Ill- Illidan Storm Rage voice very specifically. Um, he's, he's very normal. Like He is understandable uh, in a way that I think uh, it just really works. Uh, I love Caius a lot. He just very matter of fact is like, I'm going to be killing you now because of uh, plans. Not, I have nothing <laughs> against you, but that's what's happening. Uh, uh, and I think another thing that like really uh, impacted this is like Yule is another classic like Roland stories of like the the doomed wayfish woman uh, who is frail and weak and the conflict revolves around right uh and sarah and Noel often try to do the thing that it happens at a lot of those where like you talk to the misguided violent man and her protector like she wouldn't want this she wouldn't want this and they say that uh and first of all kaish responds with the most fucking argument ended battle line ever which is he's just like i don't want to uh i don't want to please her i want to save her um, <laughs> which is just like absolutely fucking bodied uh you will not be changing this man's mind today <laughs> uh, but also yours shows up and she doesn't disagree with Caius like entirely she doesn't like entirely agree with him either she has her own perspective but she's not on Nolan's uh, Sarah's side also she has her own like view on these things and it's uh, contradictory because she's a contradictory existence right she has multiple versions of her yeah. that all have different like uh, wants and, and needs because they're different people with the same memories um, uh, every idea. Yule is yeah. like a, a different kind of person in a way yes. and uh, some of them like uh, at least one of them does like agree with uh, Sarah Noel and some of them agree with Caius and, and are on Caius's side um, uh, I think there's like uh, essentially it's like right before the final boss uh, the Yule of that time essentially gets on the phone to you and says no listen I'm I'm on his side fuck off please uh, she's like if you do this things are gonna go so bad you don't even know you don't even know how bad things are gonna go if you do this uh and she ends up being right because yeah you at least to the ending uh which is one of the best endings any of these games have ever had simply a jrpg ending ever i mean i'm sure maybe there's another don't tell me if there's another one because i'd love to be surprised again like this um but 
an ending where the villain wins and the world ends is just not something I expect from Final Fantasy. It's amazing. Like you, they they go into Valhalla, they have to fight him in the uh, you know in in the 500 AF and also in Valhalla because he has to be killed in both places uh, because that's the only way to take out his heart. Uh, and it turns out he's like planned for this because either he would kill you and he'd be in charge and he'd be able to do this, or uh, you would kill him by killing the heart of Etro, which would kill Etro, uh, which would release the chaos anyway. So like either ways he wins, and that's what happens. Uh, he finally uh, is able to bait Noel into actually killing him after literally millennia of trying across the game somehow. <laughs> um, and the chaos is released as you have this whole incredible happy ending as like uh, Sars is there because he's, they they kind of forget Sars exists because Square Enix is fucking racist sometimes. Can't believe they'd be racist to the like black character who has a bird in his afro. <laughs> who, would, who would ever expect this? Yeah, um, unfortunately Sars is like fully sidelined in the sequels to 13. Yeah. Um, he's sidelined in, in um, 13 too in a way that I was like, oh, well, you know, that makes sense. It's, it's Sarah Noel's game. Everyone's kind of sidelined. Uh, I was expecting more from Lightning Returns, which he does not get. That's when I was like, oh, you've truly fucked this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is great when he shows up and is like, we need an airship pilot. And it's it's uh, it's Sars and there's Dodge there and uh, Chocolina's there as the chick because we didn't even talk about Chocolina, but um, she's there. Uh, and everyone across all the timelines is able to like team up and make the like attack on the base and you fight the three Chaos Bahamuts. Um, and it's a cool ending and you, you save the day and you win and you're like, Noel and Sarah are together, flying down together, and Noel's Noel thinks she, he's safe there because they've they've learned that Sarah ha- will like will die in the same way you have because she's got the same eyes of Etro. They'll kill her the same way, and she's like accepts mm-hmm. this. Um, but they think that they've done it. They think they've changed the timeline, uh, and they have. They basically do end of Eva Final Fantasy where there's a big happy song playing as the world falls down, uh, and then Sarah dies, and then the chaos like the bells of Lindsay ring, uh, and the chaos enters the world and everything ends and yeah. like lightning's frozen in crystal and i'm like fuck that's so cool uh yeah really specific i think specifically it's like they essentially they do the same thing they did in 13 right where it's like it's the same well, it's the same. uh well we we did this before and we didn't really think it would work out but it worked out anyway so let's do it again uh and it extremely does not work out this time uh it's like a real kind of like condemnation uh of like the failures of all of these characters to learn anything from that point. Uh, and yeah, there's this big happy song. It's about like, we're going to go to the new world. It's going to be amazing. As we watch everyone, as Sarah dies uh, and the world falls apart with like these bells and the sounds of people screaming. Uh, it's just, uh, it might be, uh, it's one of my favorite endings in any video game. Honestly, I really, really love it. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. Um, absolutely adore it uh, and if you it was get really funny all when the it, oh, sorry, it, came, it was just funny when it came out and they were like well the tube continued to just use just for the dlc like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about uh yeah and if you get all the, the all the 100 secret ending stuff because uh it, it has that like uh 10 2 does although not quite in the, to the same extent but if you get all all the uh, all the fragments, which I've never done because it requires uh, actual honest-to-God gambling. You can't even cheese it. It's You just have to play the slot machine. <laughs> the slot machine fragments are evil because there's a video game slot machine casino like there is in many video games, but they just gave it the odds of a normal slot machine <laughs> yes. and you have to win like 40,000 gil. And it's like, but you've made a machine that bleeds money from me because you've made a real slot machine. Yes. 
This is um, so evil. What have you done? It's absolutely wild. But yeah, if you somehow manage to do that, you just get a cutscene where Kai essentially says, ha ha, you never could have beat me no matter what. You you thought getting all this extra stuff would help you beat me? Oh, you, you idiot, you moron. Uh, it's perfect. It's wonderful. Yeah, he like slams his sword into the ground. It's like, the goddess is dead. And I'm like, he's so <laughs> fucking cool. Uh, yeah. Absolutely could not have adored this game more. Uh, I was really taken by it, especially after like one of my uh, running things of playing all these games for the abnormal mapping is like Ten Two is so good about like killing God doesn't change anything or fix anything or help anything. Like we're still people that just is problems in the world, right? It's so good about that that it like every time they do one of those plots, I'm like, we've it's been covered. You addressed this already, yeah. um, and. Uh, this this one specifically was like, oh, they've they found a fully new angle on this, like a genuinely new angle that surprised me, uh, and that was very exciting. I just didn't didn't realize they had it in them. Yeah, uh, and uh, I guess they didn't have it fully in them. Uh, is how it all shakes out in the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, which brings us to Lightning Returns, which in many ways is the best of these games, but it's also. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, just just before we move on, Lightning Returns, I just wanted to touch really quick on the oh, yeah. thirteen two gameplay stuff because we we, we didn't oh, really we talk really about, about it. it, right? Because it's yeah. too cool uh, story wise. Oh yeah, right. So <laughs> it's also they bring about the system. It's weird. It's the gameplay's weird. Yeah, uh, it's it's way. It has the same systems broadly. Uh, you have you don't really have any other party members, but you have Sarah Noel, and then you have like a third slot, which is like taken up by like a monster, uh, and that part's great. Uh, because a lot of the monsters are very cute. Uh, they they correctly identified that the monster design in 13 was fabulous uh, and just let you kind of like uh, mess around with that. And you can put little hats on them and stuff like that. All that's very good. Uh, but the problem is it has the same issue that the back half of 13 has amplified to a way greater extent because uh, the leveling curve is so much more open in 13 too that it can't really do the same kind of... Uh, combat puzzles that 13 has until like the post-game stuff and at that point they are prescribed to a point where you really need to grind out uh, a party build and composition and a monster uh to really tackle uh these situations uh i I don't dislike the combat entirely uh before my most recent playthrough i would have said i preferred to 13 and i I don't know if I, i still agree with that uh i think they are kind of uh, despite having similar mechanics, I think they have a very different thing where uh, 13.2 feels much more, feels better than 13 was at like the traditional RPG mold of uh, a battle, kind of a random battle exists, uh, not necessarily to like be a explicit test of your uh, mechanical or strategic skill, but also to uh, let you experiment with like a developing build or a character uh, and i think that stuff is a bit better in 13 too just because uh that stuff happens much faster um the battles themselves are a lot faster um but i do think uh, uh it does lose something compared to 13 um but i also ultimately do think i think i would rather play 13 too if only because it's a 20 to 25 r game and not a 50 to 60 r game yeah i mean like 13 too is structurally it's a kingdom hearts game right like it is um you go to different worlds and the worlds are like these small areas that are interconnected and go back and forth and they each have their own little story that connects into a big story uh at the end um 
And I think that works really well. Like even the history of Crux just looks like the uh, selection screen from Kingdom Hearts 1 on some level. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, it means that like the progression through the world is really fun and varied but yeah there's no level curve it's just not the same game anymore it's got the same systems um but it's been retrofitted into a more traditional rpg structure uh where the battles are short um and i think i didn't do the post-game fight so i can't speak to how interesting it gets but that's because like 80 percent of the game you don't need anything you're just fine like there is no leveling curve because yeah. the game is like so open that you're just going to breeze through it um and then you get to the end game and a bit of a wall rises. It's like, all right, did you did you actually prepare the whole time? We weren't testing you along the way, but now we are. Lightning Returns has had the same problem, honestly, a little even even further. Um, yeah, I, I think just, of this as like a classic JRPG problem where I, like the one I always remember is uh, when I played Final Fantasy IV, which I originally played on the DS, which is yes. a much oh, harder that- version of yeah. Final Fantasy IV. But that has a real thing of... Uh, that is a mostly, despite being very difficult, uh, you never really need to grind throughout the game until you hit the final dungeon where it's like, right, you really, need, you just need to go and get 20 extra levels uh, in a way that uh, the game just really hasn't uh, required before. And I think like in inheriting this slightly more traditional JRPG structure, it also inherits a lot of the issues that I think the the design of 13 was like designed to address in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, uh, is, there's an like, interesting paradox almost there uh and it's especially interesting because like the combat system pushes against those f- designs so much that like bringing them back in it's just there's a weird friction um and so they've made changes to the combat system some of them are like i wish i had i wish i had like the enemy targeting option in a version of 13 i would love that in like the the, the game you know proper um but the other design things that come through are like they've made the fucking crystarium even worse what's wrong with them <laughs> because the crystarium is like objective net like so okay so there are big nodes and there are small nodes and the nodes get different bonuses but also the types of like spheres you put on them give different bonuses and if you put like a certain node on a certain sphere it'll give a plus two to this but on a big on an even sphere it'll give this so you can like you can get it wrong you can get upgrading your character wrong like in a way that is just not how i would think game design works you want me like i want to experiment i don't want to get things like wrong in a way i can't get back but that was the, the choice they went with and maybe it doesn't matter right maybe it's like you know so long as you keep upgrading you don't have to worry about those extra 50 points across the leveling system but the fact that i know that i can get it wrong is sitting in my brain and similarly the same thing happens with the monsters um and they're so varied and there's so much materials that go into them that I'm like never incentivized to actually put the work in to upgrade them until I really need one. Um, and yeah. I wish that there was less, um, less like hard pushbacks on the currencies because I, I think like the experimentation of the system is good, but I'm not really able to experiment without a lot of cost. And the balance of that is just all the way off. Uh, it's just a bit sloppy. You know, this game is a bit sloppy in a way that I think is like to its benefit because that's why there are, uh, the worst clock puzzles that you've ever played in your life in this game. <laughs> oh no my reason. god. Uh, if you're playing this game, you will be Googling clock puzzle solver. It's just going to happen. They're randomized, so fuck you. So someone's had to build a solver. Uh, I, I did not find the solver. And also... No! Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just... I just, like... It's not even the sense of... Uh, they they are barely coherent puzzles like i truly solved almost all of them by just like trial and erroring a lot of the time like the some are very simple early on but once you get to the point where you have like these you know you have these 14 stations on a clock and each time you press one it like sends the things in a different direction you need to 
like have a very sort of like path that you take down. Uh, it was just very difficult for me to get my head around actually solving the puzzle. So I'm just like, oh, I'll just start with this one and see where it takes me and then just like work from there. Uh, yeah, I did, I did not think that they were good in any way. <laughs> and you might go, well, this doesn't seem like it's like building on the design of 13. Like, that's, why, why would they do this? Uh, why are there so many confusing systems uh, that are seemingly in, like unconnected to each other that are like interesting, but designed slow, sloppily? And then you go check the developer tab and you're like, <laughs> they co-developed this with Triace. They put that Triace source into Final Fantasy. <laughs> and now the game's stupid. And I think it's mostly to its benefit. Like, uh, I do think these two tastes go great together. Um, there's a lot of some stupid, annoying stuff in this game. Uh, but it's all fun, mostly. Like, I get the, the clock puzzles suck, uh, and the upgrade system is a little obtuse, um, etc., etc. A lot of lot of things that are annoying in the game. But I think the the benefits in like the horizontal design of every single world was clearly made by a different little team because they were like, all right, we've got two years to make this fucking video game. Let's make this normal. We're not going to mm-hmm. build a th- decades worth of assets and then slap them together. Uh, so every every little uh, area seems to have its own identity. Um, there you're doing something different basically all the time even when you're doing combat like exploring the big open area where you can change the weather is different to exploring academia which is different to uh exploring urba and doing the little uh like paradox puzzles um and it just it's very video gamey it's just extremely video gamey about it but i think that's to its benefit i think i think it's really fun yeah i i think truly uh it cannot be uh overstated just how much this game being 20 to 25 hours uh, helps all this stuff go down because it's so much easier to put up with a shitty clock puzzle when you know you're only going to be doing it for like a few minutes at a time. Uh, Like it is, it just kind of, it might be a little bit annoying in the moment, but it does not really like linger as a real sort of like complaint or criticism in my head. Um, It just kind of almost becomes like a charm point as I go. Uh, I think this is also uh, part of why I'm so type zero pills because that is a game filled with bizarre cruft and now i'm just kind of like it's kind of, it's kind of adorable in a way uh that yeah, terrible I think, uh rp not uh, rts action thing <laughs> god it sucks god i love it <laughs> yeah it strategy no does it even have like rpg mechanics not really but you do move forward occasionally <laughs> uh and yeah i think it's just like um even though I think the core gameplay of 13 is like way more coherent and stronger in 13. Uh, because every section is a little bit too long and you're only ever really doing the one thing, which is like running forward and getting into combat, uh, I, it's much more like exhausting to play. Yes. Uh, I, I, I think I could like pick up and replay 13 to at literally any time. Whereas, uh, you know, I've played 13, like I think, uh, I think this was my, my fourth time playing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I'll play it again because it's it's a long game and it's a big commitment and I just don't know uh, if I can work myself up to it readily. Um, I mean, I could see myself playing 13 again, but not like I have before. I would be skipping the cutscenes and I would be like, it's time to do some challenge runs, right? Because that's the... the uh, game design the 13th 13's become a huge speedrunning game because out of all the Final Fantasies it's the most like it's it actually supports that playstyle the combats are like really technical uh, the 
puzzles are very set. Uh, it's not just like a, how do I route myself through this open world where the challenge is only just staying on the route. Uh, there's like a lot of active things to do. Um, they basically made a Final Fantasy character action game. Like, like when, I, when we did the 15 episode, I was like, it's like a real-time turn-based game with how like you're moving Noctis between states. Uh, or as I would say, 13 is a uh, command-based action game because you're, yes, like, you're, you're doing cancels to do uh, like juggles. Like it's fucking Devil May Cry over here. Uh, yeah, I think like uh, uh, you know, it's it's often been said that like since Advent Children came out, Square has been trying to make Advent Children playable, and I think thirteen is the is the more most coherent uh, time they got to exploring that idea. Come back uh, in a month, and we'll see if that remains true. Probably. <laughs> uh, so there's almost to an extent where like the the more direct like you know. Final Fantasy Sixteen is a game that's very uh, explicitly taking cues from uh, action games, uh, character action games. But the way those games play almost precludes a big part of like the kind of Advent Children aesthetic, which is uh, the camera in thirteen thirteen two is always like swinging around the action uh, because the characters move on their own. It can really concentrate on like the visual flair and show that off without keeping things like you know you don't have to be uh always aware of exactly where your character is at all times in the way that like you know when you're playing final fantasy 16 you need to know where clive is because you need to be able to like dodge the enemies and stuff like that yeah uh, you need to always always cut that camera and he does that big sideways dodge every three <laughs> seconds in that game um yeah I mean, it's, it's interesting in that like i mean this is just a more broad thing but advent children right probably the most influential text on square of the of this century somehow uh even though it was a movie no one really likes um yeah they are chasing that dream the phantom um, menace and advent children that's yes, that's what uh, square enix have been chasing uh you know what if um boys night could go worse than the phantom menace <laughs> and advent children <laughs> Uh, but what's the best moment in Advent Children? Everyone knows. There's no like argument or no one would disagree, right? There's 100% agreement. The best moment in Advent Children is the Bahamut fight. Uh, and you can't do that in an action game because you can't like, I mean, you can do quick time events would be the only way, which is the thing they do in 16, right? Is the way they get this kind of thing of like, how do you get Cloud thrown up by all of his friends? It's actually a very turn-based game thing that happens in the middle <laughs> of that movie, even though aesthetically it's poured into all these more action things. I do think you're right that like 13 is a good... Um, because it, it, you know, the camera spinning it does that visually, but you're still selecting things from a menu. You still select Army of One, and she performs it perfectly on multiple enemies, uh, rather than it being like I have to like try to do this myself. And, you know, press Y Y twice and then back out of it. Right there is still you can still get the cool animations without execution in this game. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, when it, and then they basically. Uh, they didn't throw everything out, but they changed a lot of stuff for the next game. <laughs> yeah, so Lightning Returns is fucking weird. It's so weird. Uh, the plot of it is very bare bones. It's 500 years after 132, uh, and we are in uh, Nova Chrysalis, which is the end of the world, the only remaining uh, land that hasn't been touched by the chaos, um, which we can assume is pulse but also like it doesn't it truly doesn't matter like it's like a non-place that's emerged right the, the history of it has become so vague because of the chaos infection that even though it has been 500 years and there is some like specificity there it's more just like a new world that everyone's in uh it feels spinning off like the ideas of the the dead sea sequence in chrono cross where you go into this area and like yes. all these timelines are like merged together and frozen in this like one ocean which is another part of like uh 
time exists in Nova Crisalia, but but also it doesn't. Uh, nobody ages. Uh, nothing has like uh, th- this is like sort of the the logical endpoint of the world of thirteen thirteen two, which is that nobody ever ages. Nobody has done anything else. They've just been living their the same lives for five hundred years, uh, and it's. They've all become fucking weirdos. <laughs> They've all become fucking weirdos. And then uh, God, that is Benavelza, uh, which, again, have you been paying attention to your Charlotte uh, <laughs> Never Crystallis lectures that we've been handing out the last five years? Um, and you go, Benavelza, what's that? Wasn't that just the name of the new cocoon? Aha, that's why you're wrong. Um, <laughs> like shows up and if you've been paying attention you would know that Benavelza uh killed his mother uh and made the world and sent his mother to the unseen realm but he's been like terrified that Mwen would come back and like poison the world and it wouldn't be perfect so he's been kind of trying to like that's why he's been searching for Etra's gate uh to get into the unseen world to get into the chaos which he can't perceive and um stop his mother for once and for all so the, the world can be perfect it's the broad stretch of the plan of uh Fabulous Never Crystallis, which until this very final entry has not mattered even slightly. Just hasn't yes. been a factor in anything, but uh, is now a big deal. It, it's basically like a Russian nesting doll Gnosticism, where there's yeah. an evil material god and then a good spiritual god behind that, but then there's another evil material god behind that god. And so... <laughs> We come to what I thought was an interesting dilemma when this game started. I was like, okay, so you killed God the first time and then someone else killed a different God, but you didn't like it when that happened. Um, The one thing they can't do is to just kill God again because the first game was... You must resolve the contradiction in some way. The thematic ideas have been laid out. Uh, You can't just ignore that. (laughs) You can't just say the power of friendship will solve everything after it so clearly failed the last time. What are you talking about? Uh, Anyway, then uh, the power of friendship solves everything. There's a lot of specifics in the middle, but you truly cut the end of this game's hangover, which is that she's going to go to the even bigger god and kill him and make a new world, which is, by the way, our world for some fucking reason. But also everyone has their memories of the old world, so it's not even... Stupid, 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 stupid nonsense. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, But broadly, the game is about doing side quests for random NPCs uh, in the end of the world. And I think that stuff is excellent. Yes. Uh, even though I, I was, I would say that I, I am extremely down on the story of Lightning Returns. I think the game is really cool because, like, uh, even though I, I believe like less of Trius worked on this game than the prior game, but it feels very Trius in that like the gameplay is uh, so much more important than the narrative. Like this is yes. a uh, systems sicko game in a lot of ways, uh, and it's a really cool one of those. Yeah, this is like the kind of this the birth of the uh final fantasy 7 remake team on some level um like this is a toriyama uh and hamaguchi joint um i think i think this is hamaguchi's first like lead design credit i think he was like on th- i don't know i don't know his like exact uh lineage but this is the first time he was the second guy in the credits after toriyama mm. um uh, I'm going to Final Fantasy. So, yes, he was lead cutscene programmer on 13, lead application programmer on 13.2, and then main programmer on 13, and then leader of uh, Mobius and uh, co-director of Remake and Nail, sole director of Rebirth, um, presumably director of the third part. I don't know. Uh, who can say what's going on over there? I don't know exactly. Nomura's going to sweep back in and be like, I'm taking it back. <laughs> uh, but um, this is like where that team is like really uh, codified. And I think... 
it's their best game so far. I mean, they've made two and they're about to make a new one, but like, I don't see remake, uh, Rebirth having as interesting an open world as this game has. Uh, yeah, uh, I think like it is not an open world in our like modern conception of it. In that it I is not like Toriyama a... said he wanted to destroy Skyrim in the like. Tar- <laughs> <laughs> I did not hear that. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, hang on, Lightning Returns. In the, in the same way of like um, Tom and I going on about Evangelion, it was this yeah. exact same. Uh, Lightning Returns, Skyrim. Where's the quote? Uh, no, not Skyrim mod. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, 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 why the fuck is this not the first result? It's too crazy. Yes, Toriyama wants Lightning Returns Open World to beat Skyrim. He said this. <laughs> uh, you know what? He did it uh, because I, I just think this game, his conception of openness, is so much more interesting than um, you know this like modern kind of. Uh, you have like, these segmented little like parcels of content uh, that are sort of repeated throughout a large map. Um, and the function of the open world is almost like a uh, diegetic level select menu, where you open up your map, you see the content around, and you uh, or like you see it visually, and you go, "Oh, uh, that that's a cave. I know what that cave will represent. It will be, you know, it'll be filled with like the the zombies, and I can get this kind of equipment." Uh, that is kind of like the Skyrim open world experience to me. Um, whereas Lightning Returns is uh, Shenmue. In a lot of ways. And Shenmue uh, is one of the greatest games I've made. Yes. Lightning Returns is not that good, but they're stealing from the best. Uh, yeah, so you have all these like uh, NPCs, and they all have like a schedule, and uh, you, you get side quests from them. And the side quests are the game because uh, one of the many cool idiosyncratic things about the systems in this game is there's no levels. You instead, you, or not even in the Crystarium, you gain stats when you complete side quests. Uh, so helping other people and the way it is like framed is very cool because, uh, lightning is essentially like a Valkyrie in this game. She is like collecting the souls of the people in the world to be reborn in Bunavels's new world. So there's like almost like a vampiric thing going on where you're like siphoning energy from people to make yourself a little bit stronger, uh, in a way that's like, uh, wow, if they really, if they, if they were, if this game didn't have a terrible ending, this would actually be a really cool and resonant thing with like the ideas of Godhood uh, in in this series. Um, but yeah, like that, that's kind of what you're doing. You're going around, you're talking to uh, people, uh, and sometimes talking cats. Uh, you're solving their little problems, and a lot of their problems will be um, involved going to like certain parts of the map at certain times. Uh, certain parts of the map are like open and close at certain times uh to get the other places you either teleport which costs an expensive resource or you take the train uh which yes. comes every which comes every half hour and it takes some time to get to your assassination um uh it becomes a game about okay uh i have this amount of amount of time before i have to be here for this thing what can i do in that time what can i do to make the best of uh the time i'm spending in this area and uh it just makes for a really really compelling and uh compulsive loop which is yes. probably why uh both times i've played this game i've i've done everything in half the time the game gives me <laughs> yeah so it's interesting that like the game is not balanced like at all the the chronostasis breaks the game you can fucking pause the game constantly yes. and immediately complete every quest if you want to uh if you're like good at resource management but that doesn't matter because the like aesthetic impact of merely having the time pressure right uh the fact that it is there at all even if ultimately you can uh trivialize it so easily creates a pressure where uh 
the quests, which are ultimately just kind of fetch quests. They're just, uh, get this thing and give it to this person, we're going to give you a little cutscene. They're mm-hmm. not, like, more in-depth than other Square Enix side quests, which are famously uh, bad. <laughs> no one likes <laughs> the Final Fantasy side quests um, in any side. All the, the seven remake guys, they hate their side quests. The 16 guys hate their side quests. The no side of the fandom's happy with the side quests. Um, but this is just a thing that I believe and is not true for everyone, right? But I do believe that the act of time pressure makes the... Uh, like the sense of I'm going to go from this NPC to this NPC to get this item to here. Uh, it just gives them more meaning and context. It makes that engaging to me, which it was true of Shenmue as well. Like they were, yes. finding out where the NPCs lived and how to talk to them was the gameplay. And so for a certain kind of person, you're like, nothing happened in this game. It's the most boring game in the world. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm like, this has made the act of walking around an open world, like riveting. Um, and I think that's the thing that Lightning Returns uh, take. It's not as good at that, Shimu. It's not like, oh, I'm <laughs> reading all the names uh, on the um, apartment buildings to find out who lives where so I can do this at this time, right? It doesn't have, it doesn't quite have Shemu level source, uh, but it's doing fundamentally the same thing as I uh, get these side quests and line them all together and go, oh, these two are in the same place at the same time and I can do that then. And then I can go to the graveyard to do this. Uh, and I think, I think the open world stuff, fantastic, genuinely uh, excellent. I would love to see them revisit that because and not try to make a game inspired by Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I think, like, my uh, thing I've often sort of felt with, like, uh, these kind of side quests of any game is that I think that, like, yes, uh, you know, the fetch quest is, like, a boring thing, like, uh, out of context, but I think context can apply something interesting to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I actually... uh, I would not defend them particularly, but I am less unkind to like the side quests in 16 and uh, 7 Remake. Uh, 7 Remake, I think like I like the idea of like building out like, the communities of uh, Midgar, uh, where I think that is uh, pretty cool. Uh, and 16, it's the only part of the game that comes alive for me because, again, you're like building out this like community and helping people out there, which I like. And Lightning Returns is just like better and more interesting about it than either of those games um, because... Nova Corsalia is not what I would call a coherent community. It's very much like a sketch of a place. But because the time pressure applies so much weight to the act of travel, it means that the distinct parts of it develop uh, so much more character. And the time pressure also, you know, even though there's 13 days and I think, you know, both of us finished it, uh, all the stuff in half the time, the fact that we did that is like, I think, it speaks to how effective the pressure is because you don't need to use chronostasis ever, really. Uh, like, but the first time I played the game, I was in a wild panic for the first few days um, because and the game was a very clever trick where it like starts the first day half done. Like you, you only get the night essentially of the first day, and it really like clues in. It's like you don't have a lot of time. You've spent one of your 13 days and nothing really got done. So that really spurs you into action, makes you think, well, okay, how do I do this? How do I navigate this kind of like vast uh, scheduling navigational puzzle that is this world? Uh, and I think it um, takes what would be just like, yeah, these little uh, deliver X object to Y person um, tasks and makes them like really effective. Uh and I think it also helps that, like, the, the the humans of this world are aggressively strange and often very funny. 
I would love to know when he said I want to beat Skyrim. The quote was, uh, "The wilderness is designed with a uh, uh, natural style of open play in mind." Toriyama's first instruction was to beat Skyrim. This may be a tall order with the resources on hand. <laughs> <laughs> An understatement of the century, because this game is made with string. Uh, oh, everyone's yeah. seen the dog. Um, beautiful. I love it. I love it. But like, honestly, I do think the like collapsing of budget and resources it ends up feeding into the stories that they want to tell anyway, right? As this world gets further and further afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, but one Skyrim thing they truly have in this game is that, oh, I see the dragons over there by the dawn. You know, the NPCs are fucking weird. <laughs> And it's just like, it's not exactly the same as Skyrim. They don't like, you know, chase you up and say, hello there, stranger. Would you go and search for my son? Uh, ex- or whatever. But when you stand in a place, every embassy will just run past, <laughs> say their line uh, as the like music goes. And you're just in like a weird alien space. Uh, and I'm like, I love these kind of open world <laughs> games. It's a fucking disaster. Uh, it's beautiful. I love this so much more than like taking the time to craft like the realism of Red Dead Redemption or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the side quest that like always kind of sticks out in my mind is uh, in one of like the four areas, uh, Yusnan, uh, which is like this big, essentially party town, uh, party at the end of the world type place. Um, and uh, you're running around and this kid uh, runs up to you, like snatches your wallet. And it's like, oh, this is like a very classic open world thing is that this happens. Uh, but then you look around for the kid, you can't fire him and you go somewhere else in the game. And then this man with not who's not wearing a top hat, but it's like superimposed over his head, such that it looks like it's from a different dimension, says, Excuse me, did you happen to have your wallet taken by a small child? I'll have you know I've I'm I've been watching this young lad, and it's like, this is fucking bizarre. <laughs> this is uh, this kind of open world quest, uh, but you know, uh this has been happening for 500 years and everyone's just been like getting weirder and weirder in their own little niches. Um, this is, I, th- I think there is a, some talk about this game that I found like weird in the classic, like dismissing Japanese games way, which is a, a thing like that happens. Uh, and I don't like to like talk about it too much cause it, it's a quagmire. Um, but I think in this game specifically, uh, it, it knows it's being funny. It's, it's a funny yes, game. Yes, 100%. <laughs> like, this is a comedy. This is honestly just a comedy game on some level. It's the funniest the Final Fantasy's ever been. Um, and I think the localization really like brings that through. I think it's generally fun. There are some uh, like plot things that they change arbitrarily that you can get really annoyed about, but not, those aren't any of my problems with the game. Uh, I think that like the tone of the NPC conversations that comes through in the localization is fantastic. Like you have, uh, did you do the quest where uh, you like someone is like, oh, you got to find my dad. And he's like, I'm, your dad's friend he died and then like <laughs> three days later you get a different quest and you find his dad who's also faked his death and they've all faked their own death in different ways for stupider reasons and you bring them all together and they're like well i guess i've solved that and lightning's reactions to everything is always like okay whatever you're talking about <laughs> um it's just funny it's like a really funny game for most of it and i think that like the fact that you're talking to all these name not nameless but like um generic uh npcs made with the adornment system that's just in game uh is something they somehow make sing it's better than the damn bits with the uh, like actual characters that's for sure yeah uh i think like um okay don't want to speak to this too much but like there is uh i think uh people assumed that the developers were unaware of the fact that they were making a low budget game with like reused assets and stuff and uh, i think they very clearly lean into the absurdity of that in a lot of places uh yes. and it, it it creates some 
uh, some really funny jokes. Um, like, uh, everyone is still wearing like the, the ridiculous, like, uh, deep grind dirge of cerberus ass uh, sci-fi yes. outfits they were wearing in like cocoon and stuff but also they're just like sitting at like restaurants and stuff but so you meet this like paris right like, the, like- <laughs> yes <laughs> uh you meet like a food critic and he's dressed like a cyber goth uh, <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> uh and it's just very fun uh it's like um i really the game as a whole is unbelievably garish in in its aesthetic and i absolutely love it for that it has when you enter each of the four zones it flashes up like a little like introductory scheme like a lot of these games have and they're all hideous they're disgusting and i love them they are just like these collage of contrasting different elements and uh you know i it, it is like garish and ugly but i really like it and also it's very resonant with this is a, like an in-between world of like mashed together bits of like space and time uh i think it is uh, such a coherent game in uh, its like visual design, despite you know the fact that it's uh, you know it, of its low budget. That it's like really commendable, and I, I can I can see looking at this game why this became the Seven Remake team because I think they have a really good eye on uh, how to play with existing aesthetics in this way. Yeah, the, those um, little like level screens that are like kind of like you know when you reach a button kingdom hearts i want you to like imagine the ugliest forum signature from 2009 <laughs> and then like just take it a little step further that's how they look it's so good uh the, yeah it's it, it's ridiculous the aesthetic is beautiful um and i i loved going between the worlds and like the little uh gameplay puzzles they have there because i think like there's two open worlds in this there's, there's two cities and two open worlds right you have um Luxarian and Yusnam, which are the cities, and then you have uh, the Dead Dunes, which are a bunch of like desert areas and caves and like an actual tile tile based dungeon, like they used to make. Yes, um, <laughs> and then you have the uh, actual open world where you ride your chocobo, uh, which is the Wildlands. Uh, yeah, and, the, the Dead Dude yeah. dungeon. I just think specifically, it really reminded me of the dungeon design in like Final Fantasy Two in particular, <laughs> yeah. with like. There are lots of just like boxes where you've gone to the room. It's like, well, you've gone the wrong way. Here's an enemy. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of that, yeah. Um, and the like experimentation they do with like the kinds of navigation is really, really good. I think the world design is incredible. Like you get to the dead dunes, right? And the dead dunes are ba- designed around uh, the red chocobos that are teleport points, whereas the wildlands are designed around having a chocobo. So the, the wildlands have a lot of platforming bits, but like if you have a chocobo at this level of healed, uh, he can do these kind of jumps. If you do these ones, he can do this jumps, and then. The Dead Dunes has lots of like, okay, it's a big empty desert, but there's a landmark in the distance. You see the giant hand, you, and someone says, "Oh, go to a giant hand." You're like, "Oh, I know where that is because I've seen it from this area." Um, and it's just like really coherent. It's very small scale, but the way you put together the world mentally as you map it out and understand the relationship between all the spaces uh, really hits. It really works. I'm like, this is very impressive stuff uh, for how quickly this game was developed. Um, maybe because of that, I don't know, because it's like significantly more experimental than almost any other Final Fantasy game yeah uh yeah and uh i think the game is uh just like very accomplished uh in its gameplay in that navigation sense but also uh i really like the battle system of this game yes. i think the battle system of this game is fantastic yeah the battle system is um kind of an attempt at doing what uh, 15 did which is to take final fantasy into an action game system without losing 
uh, what made it Final Fantasy. I think it's a better attempt than 15, which I, a system I also really like. Uh, but this is, has much more going on, has like so much more going on with the schemata. Yeah. Uh, I like 15's uh, stuff a lot, but I think uh, yeah, uh, 15 is uh, does not demand that much of you. Whereas yeah. especially like the later stage of the game is like Lightning Returns is a game that has a lot to learn and demands that you learn quite a lot of it uh, by the time you get to the end. Yeah, it also has the... Um, 13-2, like, oh, have you been, not been... Did you get through this game too quickly? <laughs> Fuck you! This is the final dungeon. Uh, and it gets very hard very fast, and I was like, oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I'm not quite ready. Because it's very clearly designed to be played by someone who didn't uh, learn how Chronostasis worked on day two, um, and has maybe, like, gone through the cycle a couple times. Um, and so you're meant to be, like, stronger at the end and more ready for its, its challenges. But, like, there's a lot of depth in this system. A lot. Uh, and I think it's really good. Yeah, you're, you're basically like, uh, uh, you get garbs, which are like sort of, you know, kind of like the dress spheres from Tento, but you can customize those jobs. Uh, so essentially you have, uh, you get an outfit that has uh, like a, gives you a boost of magic and has, uh, lets you cast fire. But you can also fill out those other uh, parts of the grid because uh, it has like a, like a four, has each of the face buttons cast a different ability, a bit like, Valkyrie profile um and uh you can customize each one of those uh within like the framework so that the outfits give you and then you can also add really transformative weapons and accessories and equipment such that really does feel like you are like handcrafting your very own final fantasy jobs that you then uh each one has its own atp gauge in battle and so you switch between them and the other ones recharge when you're not using the one you currently are um and it's about sort of building up this kind of uh, build uh, of three different jobs that can either, you can have stuff that's like, oh, this is like a general kind of all-purpose thing. I've got like a physical one, a magic one. And then when you get to the story bosses, they often sort of like, okay, I need to maybe take a step back, rethink my build and sort of retool it for this uh, kind of a specific challenge and that to me is just like that's fucking role-playing video games i i love that shit and this is a really great example of that um without and it also adds in the kind of like action real-time stuff where and if you're playing on hard mode you do really do have to learn this uh you can perfect guard uh if you timed your guards at exactly right you can like n- yes. nullify damage um and so uh that lets you kind of push your luck and fight enemies that are maybe a little bit too, uh, too high stat for you but if you work out the timing then you can uh really you know survive those fights uh the final boss of the hard mode playthrough uh this is the playthrough i did for this uh i played on hard mode and uh, uh i think hard mode is like okay overall i think uh it suffers in a way a lot of these games hard modes do in that they just kind of like buff up stats without really making things that much more interesting but they do change some of like the boss designs, uh, and the final boss is essentially like completely different uh, oh, in okay. a way that uh, you he like switches between all his phases uh, except for the final one, kind of like oh, on, no! on his own. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he goes through like if he switches through all three phases, he just does an instant kill attack uh, that kills you. And I remember really struggling with this, and I looked up. It's like okay, so what, what are some tips for this? And I found a guy that on Steam that was like. 
yeah, so you should really be like on playthrough four to be fighting this guy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. Uh, so what I did is I just loaded up on Phoenix Downs. Uh, and anytime he did his instant kill attack, I would just use a Phoenix Down. And then I just learned a perfect parry, everything else. And I got through to the end. Uh, and I felt such achievement. And the game gave me zero points for that victory. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, for me, it was the uh, Caius boss, which I was like, it was at the end of a big long dungeon. And it's kind of a brick wall that's like meant to encourage you to come back later, um, which I probably would have done if they had put a teleporter right by the gate, right by the Caius <laughs> boss point. Um, but there wasn't, or, uh, and uh, so I was like, all right, I have to find a way to beat this. And I'm, there's no store next to me. I can't suck up a Phoenix down. I can't do anything. Uh, and one of the cool things about this game is that the battle system is so built around the ATB um, that. If you stack your ATB right and stack your uh, overboost right, and I only I only had two EP. You have to understand I had two EP, <laughs> so I had to like make it so that I could have the perfect opening barrage into the perfect overboost barrage, which is like a free ATB bar with like a time pause, so it just gives basically free damage. But if you use it right, you can like really smartly uh, extend it, and then it recharges your meter at the end. Um, and was able to somehow take Caius down before he could <laughs> buff himself. And I was like, I'm the greatest of this game ever. It's it's very satisfying when you overcome those challenges. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, like, I, I don't think we've mentioned it, it yet, which is kind of crazy, but all these games have, like, the this is where, like, the stagger system from Final oh, Fantasy yeah. begins. Uh, yes, this and, is the stagger game. Uh, so... You know, uh, in thirteen thirteen two, you're like using a combination of, like physical and magic to build up this gauge, which like gets enemies to your point where they are like their attacks are interruptible and that you do more damage. Um, and I think I like the version of this game the most, uh, not just because I think uh, the the uh, visualization of it is really cool. It's like a sort of like heart rate that appears yes. behind uh, the enemy's like uh, health that sort of like spikes and gets better as it goes. Um, but also enemies have like these like nested versions of different staggers where if you stagger them at certain times, it will produce different effects that change the fight. Uh, and I think that's really, really cool. Um, the game is like uh, very conscious of reacting to different approaches a lot of the times. Uh, one of them is that uh, if you wait around, the story bosses will become different and more powerful uh, as as the days go on. So if you like wait until like day six, then the the boss you fight at the end of like the Luxarion main quest will change his outfit and he will have a slightly different move set. Um, so there, I think there is like again uh, responding to still responding to the complaints of thirteen by building in more reaction to the player's actions into the game systems in a way that I think is uh, really cool. Yeah, uh, I think like all the design stuff is great. Um, I guess we should probably just talk about the story that we don't like uh, at some point. Um, I think yeah. I like the early parts more than you, but I don't know how much of that is just not knowing that it was all going to be a waste of everyone's time. Um, so like the story is Lightning is a savior uh, appointed by Benavelza to gather the souls for the new world. And it's very obvious that Benavelza is evil because again, have you been paying attention to your Falcon <laughs> Nervous Christophus documents that we've been distributing the whole time? Um, and did you attend the 2011 Square Enix media briefing? <laughs> if you didn't attend the 2011 Square Enix media briefing, you're fucked. These two games truly assume that you have attended the 2011 Square Enix media briefing. Uh, it's crazy that they were still that all in on this stuff six years after they announced it. Oh. I love Fabulous Over Castellas. What a stupid, doomed idea. What a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, so... 
you're doing this and you're like, okay, so obviously he's evil and we're going to have to fight him at some point. And I assumed the way it was going to go because he's like dangling Sarah in front of you. He's like, I can bring back Sarah. And I was like, well, no, you can't. She's fucking died, died. She like died in, and Etra died. Like she's, she's gone. Uh, she's in the chaos with everyone else. Um, but then the game becomes about this idea that at the end of the world, there are two things that can happen. Uh, Benavelza wants to... Um, destroy the chaos and all the dead souls among it to have a pure new world of souls that have survived to the end uh, and will be um right for the new world there's an asterisk on that there's some translation things about the nuances yes. here uh which both of both of the options are equally generic and boring to me <laughs> as they have on one side there's like the the english version leans into like he wants a new world of obedient humans which is the thing that 16 yes. does um and the other side is like he's been poisoned by Hope's soul, so wants to like understand the human soul more uh, in the new world. And again, also, but I guess slightly less boring. Um, if I had to pick one, I would choose that one. So it is better. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily think they're that. Uh, I mean, they're they're different, but they're not like qualitatively more interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, uh, compared to like what this series was already about. Um, and it becomes about stopping the ritual that Vanille has done because she's also come back. Everyone's come back at the end of the world just because you know, she survived from the Crystal Pillar and has been dethawed again. Uh, and she is to do a ritual that will dispel all those souls. And she thinks she's saving them, but she's actually being tricked. And you uh, stop that ritual and then you all team up and you kill God. Uh, everyone shows up in the final FMV except Sars because fuck him. <laughs> uh, literally not there. Just simply. No, everyone shows up. It's like all your friends from time are here to f- fight God. And Sars is not there. And I'm like, what the fuck is they, Sars? They give Sars's idol on to, to Null for the for for the final attack against Benavelza. It's fucking ridiculous. It's absolutely ludicrous. He shows up at the end of the final cutscene being like, all right, guys, I was picking up Sarah. Because <laughs> the end of the game is as you kill God and you're like, well, now I'm in charge of the new world and we won't be losing our memories. Because that's the big conflict is that like, in the new world, if we erase the souls, the memories of the dead will be gone. And I put my hand up and go, but it's a new world. What do you, what memory? It's a new world. I can't me- this isn't real. I just, just on a very broad level, you can't make a new world. That's not a thing that can happen. And if you were to make a new world, I don't think the distinction as to whether the dead from the old world can be remembered or not is that important when you're making a new world. That death already exists in life and we already forget people. That's normal. So like the entire thematic like argument happening is over two made up nonsense things that I don't care about. Uh, as opposed to 13.2, which is much more specific about how it's metaphor connected to the real world. Um, uh, and and the, the the other sort of like point that they add here, which I just I I have no idea why this decision was made. I don't know what it buys you. It's also a huge personal bugbear for me. Whenever this happens, I always hate it. Uh, is the new world is Earth? It's the real world. Uh, and I it's what. It's, it's, but it's, it's not because everyone on Earth can goes, well, I think I remember Cocoon. For some re- like, what does that get you? What in the metaphor of what we're learning here? What does that like? narratively get you to have everyone go i think i was on cocoon in another world at some point <laughs> yeah what, i don't what, what does that mean like what you, is that you can see like there's like a sort of shot in la- last uh video that is like uh you can see like europe uh in it's very explicitly earth is being created uh but also lightning says we're creating a world without gods since like uh there's quite a lot of those on Earth. I don't know if you've heard of religion, Lightning, but uh, this is very much not a world without gods. It's very Hollywood atheist type uh, writing there. I don't know if that's part of like the localization and stuff, but I just, yeah, I just like find that choice like uh, almost completely incoherent. 
It is not a localization thing because I've read the sequel uh, novella, which expands on some of these ideas, and it's really dumb. Uh, because do you want to? Have you read it? Do you know what? Do you know what it's about? No, no, no. I have, I have not read this novella. Okay. Well, here you go. Here's. Do I have a guess at the broadest level of what on earth it could be about? Uh, the the I. Okay, so if if it's about, I presume it's going to be the thirteen squad slowly get back their memories of the past and then reunite for like a hangout uh no no it's uh it's about a journalist um interviewing all of them and they're all like oh i kind of remember the old world and blah 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 uh but the specific thing i was talking about the, 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 the little rhetorical trick they do is there's a bit where the journalist interviewing them who is from another untranslated 13 uh novella from like 2010 <laughs> from the ultimania because square enix uh, uh john snow da- from channel 4 news <laughs> She dies and goes to talk to Caius briefly. Uh, she's fine. She she ends up, but she dies in a Gundam Seed civil war. And it's like, oh, we made the world, but we're still at war. Did was it worth it? And I'm like, ah, oh, I hate everything. Oh my mean? god. So like you know, you know the problem with this, but you're just gonna do it again. And the thing is like, oh, we made a world where we still have human frailty, but we can make it better together. And I'm like, shut up! Shut the fuck up! You've done this three times in a row. Dude. Uh, and like, I am not sort of, I am not opposed to like you know, uh, it's not you know necessarily my favorite thing, but like, uh, you know, thirteen already had this ending. And thirteen two is kind of the same ending, but the ending is aware of what's happening and finds it like terrible. Uh, it's the fact that this has we had an entire game about why the end of thirteen was insufficient, and yes. we need to build from that and and do it again. And then lightning returns. I think this is part of my frustration with narratives. I think the premise is dynamite. I think it's really yes. good. Uh, it. it spins off the themes of 13 really well everyone is stuck in this like frozen moment all the characters you meet are like stewing in their past regrets over uh what happened at the end of 13 um like you fight noel and he's still like depressed because of sarah uh snow is also kind of depressed about sarah but when you meet up with him he's like actually i'm fine uh i, I was only <laughs> pretending to be sad uh in a way that's like uh okay uh but yeah like every character is uh kind of lost in this uh malaise of not being able to move past what happened before uh and then we get we gather everyone up together and lightning says all right we're gonna do what we did in 13 again <laughs> we're just gonna repeat that and we're just it's like do it again. it's just it's just it's completely uh it's not satisfying or interesting to me in any way it just feels uh it truly just feels like they just didn't know what to do. Like they didn't have any ideas, honestly, uh, which is a very unkind thing to say about a work, but it is kind of how it feels. Because when, when I was playing the game, my assumption for the ending was going to be that she would kill Benavelza and that Benavelza would be like, you've Im- you've imbued all the souls into yourself. You're a god now. There is no killing. Like what is a god? But like the being that has the power of belief like imbued in him, right? And lightning would like tragically be the like new figure that someone would rise into the new world and it would probably like happen again or whatever, right? Um, I imagine it would just be like, and that kind of briefly happens, but then they like savor. They're like, actually, Caius is going to do that instead of you. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, the hero of of all of history. (laughs) Um, because you said the people are stewing, but I'm going to tell you one guy who's not stewing, and that is Caius motherfucking Ballad, <laughs> who is simply not available to be saved. <laughs> She's like, I can't save someone who's like not 
like, he doesn't have a big problem in his heart that he's willing to like resolve with me. He seems fairly content with his whole thing. Yeah. Uh, like he's kind of sad, but he's not like, you know, uh, like he, he, he is at peace with himself and what he's done in the way that no other character in this game is really. Um, like, that's so swag. That's so fucking swag. Guys. <laughs> I think like uh, my sort of, my criticisms of the plot uh, before that point are like, uh, uh, partly uh, I don't like uh, Yule in this game. I think the way they kind of like recast some of the how Yule was in thirteen two, I don't think is like interesting because uh, to me in thirteen two it was like very clear that the chaos came from Etro's intervention into the world. Yes. Uh, Lightning returns claims that the chaos is a result of Yule and her not being willing to let go of Caius, uh, which I, I I don't really see how that works. I and mean, I I think it like. Uh, places the blame for the problems of thirteen two on its like greatest victim in a way that I I, I bristle against quite a lot. Um, it's it's a weird plot point because when it happened, I was like, "This is incredible." The thing I liked about it was that I think I read it wrong in that I did not think it was like retconning thirteen two. I thought it was saying about the the current chaos, and I was like, "Oh, the ending will be about resolve." Like the ending has to be about Yule. Like the ending, like this entire game is about Yule. This thing is so huge in its ideas of like. The world, like Caius ended the world, and the only reason he stayed here and even the world has stayed here is because all these Yules exist in like permanent contradiction. They simultaneously want to like be free and resolve like into death with Caius, but they also want to like stay with him in this non-world forever. Uh, those two things existing in permanent contradiction is like a very cool sci-fi concept to me. I think that really yeah. works. Um, but then they like never comes up again and they just say, oh, that's why every, that's like why that happened to lightning. And I was like, that's, but no, that was a different thing. That was, like, I assumed it would be about like, that's the thing we have to resolve is the the fact that humans want multiple things they can't be satisfied with just people um mm -hmm. and then at the end what actually happened was that all the you'll show up and they go oh we're going to die now except one of us i guess noel can have one because <laughs> fuck anything mattering simply yes. anything that matters no it doesn't fuck you it, it is extremely framed in the ending as uh Noel gets to have his Yule, which just sucks. I just don't like that. I think that is, you know, uh, just uninteresting as a way to deal with that character. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, the other thing I kind of bristled at was just like uh, the kind of lightning returns aspect of this game. Uh, kind of suggested by this, like, I didn't have that much feelings about uh, lightning in 13, is that. Uh, despite being like the centerpiece of this trilogy, it is like called the lightning trilogy. I don't care about lightning that much. Uh, and this game uh, really is like invest in that lightning's back. Uh, she's kind of Batmaning it at certain points in the intro. She's got like her like black outfit and sunglasses on. Um, and she's like standing on rooftops. Uh, and I do like enjoy lightning in this game. I think uh, especially, uh, her big silly plot to get into Snow's palace is delightful, where she's like pretending to be uh, like an actress being the savior, uh, which is her role in the game. I think that all that stuff is really cool. But yeah, also, Choco Chow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is so good. Um, but also, just like uh, as the game progresses, like each day you get like a little cutscene. Uh, usually from a character called Lumina, who's basically saying like, oh, God's up to something. Won't, won't you do something about it? And her response is just like, oh, if God's up to something, I'll just kill him. And I just think that's just not interesting or compelling as like a character trait uh, because it presupposes that I am 
invested in lightning as the 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 god killer the lady who challenged the gods and like saved the world and like that's not the part of lightning i found compelling i liked the part where she was you know she was like presenting this image of cool unflappable badass in order to uh protect her sister in a kind of toxic violent way that led to later violence with like uh kind of making uh nearly turning hope into a murder child um yes i just don't think i think it like earnestly invests in the image of lightning as a badass in a way that i think uh 13 was kind of at least a little bit critical of um well, and just isn't that interesting to me there's one they, they do attempt to like resolve this but and i think it's like the most interesting part of the ending but they again coward out of it uh which is i think the the best moment of the ending is the reveal that lumina is not like a reflection of sarah's soul uh lumina is claire farron yes <laughs> um <laughs> And so, because I, I, the whole time I was like, the lesson that Lightning learned in thirteen one is that she was being a tuny loser and needed to stop <laughs> doing that to connect with the people around her. Then she was made the actual main character of time itself about five <laughs> minutes later, which is just like character development thing that is so baffling and out of nowhere that it's like hard to like even perceive her as human on some level. Uh, and so the Lumina thing is like an attempt to like resolve that. Um, and there's an almost really good image where like, lightning's being like absorbed by the chaos as her like inner child is like you cut me out well, goodbye you bitch i'm leaving uh as she realizes like the horrible mistake she made and i was like are they gonna bring it back are they gonna bring it are they gonna bring me back and then hope shows up and goes like no it's fine no consequences for anyone um but that that i did like the lumina stuff uh, i wish it was more central to the ending because i think the the series is generally better at like character emotions than it is the the god killing stuff but also this is just like a general square enix thing um with a lot of their writing is that uh and i guess it's you know more just just because these are the games i'm focusing on but i'm sure this is everywhere with many things for like a mass audience is that they seem to assume that i am invested in the characters that i uh am reading about being okay or like being happy uh which i'm not because they're not real I don't care what happens to lightning. I'm not worried about lightning. I want to be emotionally moved by this fictional story, right? I want to be think about yeah. things and, and resolve ideas and uh, be engaged. I don't care if lightning's happy or not. Like that, that matters little to me. And I did really remember like, oh right, Kingdom Hearts three has the sequence <laughs> where literally every character shows up and goes, you know, the like defining problem, which was the reason people cared about me. That's fixed now. Roxas can just walk around next to Ventus. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, uh, like, like Sarah, uh, I, I don't think I would like Sarah as much as I do. Uh, I, I think Sarah and Norrell are a great double act in 13-2. Great time that you have with them. But I don't think I would care about her as much as I do if she didn't die at the end of 13-2. Like, that is, like, a core part of her character. And, um, yeah, there is this sort of... Square Enix is very invested in, uh, iconography of characters separate from character arcs. Uh, in a way, yes. this is maybe the central problem of like uh, the 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 Cloud and Sephiroth dynamic of these are two Advent children, and Kingdom Hearts made those people into completely different characters because uh, it was spinning from the iconography of these characters rather than the characters as they existed within the fiction. And I think Lightning is a real victim of that because her role in 13.2, I do like her role in 13.2, but it is primarily exists because she's the lady on the front cover. Etro uh, kind of plucks her and makes her her, her guardian uh, because she's the lady on the front cover of the game. She's the main character. So she, uh, her, her iconography 
dictates where she goes through the schemes more so than the character arcs she had originally um, in a way that I just find disappointing because I do actually really like that character arc uh, even though I like the other characters in 13 uh, maybe a bit more yeah um, I won't, we brought this up in the 15 episode but the like Square bringing all their dead characters back is just a running problem they need to stop doing this oh my god please <laughs> um, like <laughs> they brought Titus back and I think that's fine in that game but like as the start of this trend I, I will look back less fondly um, and you have to look at it and be like well the, the good ending of the world of Spira is the world where she says no and then the like novel doesn't happen right like that's yes. the only the only read and that really brings it together to me is like that's the bad ending of Spira is if she says yes and brings Titus back like that ends the world and, and because they haven't made th- uh, 10-3 yet that does actually end the world like the last thing that they did in 10 uh, is that Spira comes back uh, and Sin comes back and they, like everyone has dreamed the past back and it's killed them all again um, and that's the, la- the last word on, uh, on 10 until they threaten to do a new thing right um, but uh, and then they're doing this again with remaking you know Zack's Alive and I'm like, I don't care that Zack's alive. I didn't even care when he died for other reasons because I think Crisis Core is dumb. But even in, even in the world where I did, let's assume, right, that we like Crisis Core now. We're going to inhabit the world <laughs> where we're not materiously critiquing all the Shimmer stuff in Crisis Core and we think it's really sad uh, when Zack the Hero died. Uh, I would not want him to come back. The, the whole point of his character in that game is that he was willing to die for Cloud. That's the, the, the what the game was about. <laughs> um... So Zach coming back is not interesting to me. And now it might be interesting, like, you know, we'll see. I'm excited for Rebirth because the trailer, the trailer shows that Zach coming back might kill all of Avalanche. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I very much expect for uh, um, Rebirth and uh, part three to put me on a very similar arc to uh, 32 and slightly returns and willing to do this again. Uh, it is like, uh, I did, uh, uh, I did read that, uh, or at least kind of like, um, a synopsis of the the 10 2.5 book yes uh and it is like oh they have been like they've had this story in mind for quite a long time like in in, in a lot of ways it feels like uh uh you know the the ideas that are at play here are also the ideas at play in like remake and going into rebirth with uh the consequences of the past and stuff like that um but yeah it's like uh they could do something interesting with it but the blanket idea of character comes back is just like not inherently compelling to me. Like uh, I am not invested in uh, a happy ending for characters, even in like a sort of uh, like a fandom impulse kind of way. You can just write a fan fiction that presupposes, you know, we all played Final Fantasy 13 2 and saw that Sarah died there. But what this uh, fic presupposes, what if she didn't? You can just do what that. What if she it's was fine. in a coffee shop? Yeah, like... The characters still exist, right? They're just fictional things. It, it does not matter to me that Lightning is in France right now. Like, I don't care that she's in a vineyard. Um, like, and it's clear that, like, the audience does care, right? The audience does care. Uh, counting down the days till what if uh, DLC 2 for 16 undoes Clive's death, right? <laughs> um, they could do it. They could do it again. It's possible. Uh, as everyone's like, oh, he's going to be, he's going to have Leviathan this time. It's going to be so, it's going to go so different. He'll be him. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't actually care. But <laughs> it'll make me laugh if they do this again. Cause they have done this for every single game, uh, except 12. Cause no one died that time. They brought, they brought Balthier back in the end cutscene, So it didn't matter. <laughs> Good to get it out of the way rather than like making that the post credits of Revenant Wings or whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 
a sequel to 12 it's all about we gotta bring Gabranth back to life <laughs> Oh, God. That's basically what they're doing in all these games on some level. Like, uh, the, the, truly, I, th- I think that um, Noel getting his Yule is the worst of it. Because what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, the whole point was that he was in love with this person who was like the multitude of people that he could never understand because they lived at the end of time and perceived everything. And that was the like beauty of the relationship, right? It was like a, this uh, classic, uh, I was going to say magical realism. There's no realism here, but it's in doing that kind of thing. Like there's a normal romance, but it's heightened by a supernatural effect uh, in its storytelling. And that creates drama. Um, the idea that he can just get his one and she can become a trad wife, you know, living in Ohio or whatever. I don't know what happens to him. <laughs> is, is absolutely fucking ludicrous. Like it just completely breaks everything about why I enjoy the fiction in the first place. What are you talking about? Specifically the real world aspect of it. I don't think I sort of realized this until now. It only really makes sense for me in a sense of we want to set up like coffee shop AUs kind of yes. thing. We want to we place these characters in a context where people can just sort of do whatever uh, they like with them, divorce from stakes. But uh, I just think that's like a misguided approach because people already do that. You don't need to like uh, self-destruct your own fiction in order to set that up. <laughs> Yeah, and they haven't done anything with it again, right? and they're not going to. Thirteen was not a popular time uh, in the Square Enix yeah. canon, right? I, they will not be revisiting Thirteen anytime soon. At most, we will get like a proper port of the trilogy at some day. Yeah, um, I think Lightning Returns is like the lowest selling mainline game, quote unquote, by a fair margin as well. Um, probably. I mean, I, I don't know what a mainline game is. I was about to say like Stranger Paradise probably sold less, um, but I don't know if that counts. I think I think there was just a, a chart I saw that was like uh, it was before Stranger of Paradise came out, but it was just like um, here's like all the the Final Fantasy games that had a number on it, and uh, the only one didn't have a number on it was there it was Lightning Returns, and it's it's a little horizontal bar was much shorter than all the rest of them. Yeah, and I think that's more because it came out in the West in 2014 after the PS4 had come out, and they didn't make a PS4 version, um, which I still think is crazy. Uh, like I think if this game had like if they delayed it a year and put it out with like a new console port of the entire trilogy, it would have done a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I think like, you know, uh, so like, as we sort of like talk, talked about earlier, uh, the, the kind of the heat around these games has settled quite significantly. Uh, yes. people aren't really, uh, fighting in the streets about them anymore. Uh, Final Fantasy has moved on. The world's moved on and the game just like quietly have their own fandom who are very passionate about, uh, these games. And, uh, uh, if a re-release comes out, I think that you know might sort of like reignite interest and stuff like that because I think uh, people just people sort of like appreciate them uh, as as their own things instead of like this is what Final Fantasy is now, which I feel like is always a real um, bristle point with a lot of people um, when these things happen. Uh, but yeah, the games are just like normal now. That uh, they were. Uh, they are products of a very specific time. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed revisiting them uh, for this. I'm very happy I played them. Yeah, again, disappointed by the final 45 minutes. Um, but like, as a video game, Lightning Returns is excellent. Um, yes, you can just play it. And uh, in a way that like, uh, the story is a major bummer, but also because it is by far the least narratively invested of these games, uh, it is in, in some ways the least harmed by the story uh, being bad because you can just play it and really enjoy uh, the rhythms and movements of it. Uh, the one funny, one funny thing I have to share about the ending is I was looking at a video on YouTube of the ending and there was a comment that 
cause the, the party don't start till Kaya shows up. <laughs> that's, like, that's so true. Because uh, tr- it truly does just like cut to Kaya and he's just there. Like, hey guys, it's me. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, um, I mean, a lot of this question talk, but we'll try to get through this quickly because that was a long ass podcast. Uh, barely even talked about Type Zero, which is I assumed how it was going to go. But hey, Type Zero is also cool yeah uh i i truly love it but also like i said at the start it 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 took me a long time and a lot of effort to get to that point which should speak to uh how idiosyncratic and off-putting and uh often deeply frustrating it can be however however i will own you and be like uh you do like it when they bring type when they bring class zero back to life (laughs) that Uh, one's allowed okay but that but it's it's I like it that time because it's not. We're not meant to think that's good. That's it's meant to be very sad that that's happened. Yeah. Uh, me, uh, the ending of Type Zero. Just want to speak, is fucking phenomenal. It's one of the best cutscenes they've ever done. Um, again, again, back to the start of the podcast. Like, it's so good. It just like elevates the whole game by two stars. It's that good. It, and it just like you consider it. You're like, damn. You're right. Machina is the hero of the world. <laughs> um, and the song's amazing, and the imagery's amazing. This is the thing that like Nomura is so good at. Uh, he is good at creating like singular, striking images. He's an uh, artist, Most yeah. of them are a guy sitting on a throne. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool image. And I'm glad that when that finally got in a video game, it was Jack Garland. He didn't yeah. actually get it into a game until then. It was always in the promos. Because uh, Jack Garland deserved that. He did it his way. Uh, um, he so did. You're so right. Uh, but like uh class zero showing up as like when nine and nine meet nine and they throw off their capes and i'm like doesn't even what does that fucking mean it doesn't mean anything but it gets the people going as that stupid clip says uh, <laughs> it's just evocative and it's cool and then the ending with them all there and the flag made of their weapons i'm like this is the shit this is what it's all about <laughs> yeah uh uh yeah i really like that ending uh i know i i think i think you're not I'm not quite as high on as I am, but I also there's when they did the HD re-release, they added like a a secret ending that yes. was for a uh it was meant to sort of like vaguely tease a sequel that never got made. Uh but uh I think uh the specific context of the stupid Fabian Nova Cristalis lore and Arisha Al Rishia and these characters uh Acquiring all this stupid lore knowledge makes me suddenly go, oh, this random sequel tease is actually really emotionally devastating and evocative for me. And that's the final prank that Fabio Nova Crystallis pulls on you, is the more knowledge you acquire about this, the more invested you'll be in the stupidest shit in the world. It's fucking true. It's so true. (laughs) I'm like, damn, that side quest where the robot might have a soul? Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah.
I got the email, so I'm going to go through them fairly quickly because it's been a long podcast and I don't want to keep you forever. Um, sure thing. But uh, yeah, we have a first question uh, from Brendan. Uh, the Mass Effect tie-in fell through. We can't use the Shepard outfits in 13 anymore. You're in charge. What other franchise do you partner with to include new outfits from Sarah and Null? Uh, my answer is GTA 4. I want them in Nico's tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be so good. Uh, I was thinking like... Uh, I, in terms of just like sci-fi stuff, I would just like uh, take like one step to the side and just give them like uh, Starfleet uniforms to run around in. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I I can see it so clearly in my mind. Uh, Noel has the 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 yellow one, and uh, Sarah's got the red one. IMO. Uh, excellent. Uh, some questions from Ian. Uh, can you name a bigger glowdown than Final Fantasy Thirteen Hope to Thirteen Two Hope? Uh, 13 3 Hope doesn't count. And this is where, unfortunately, we have to... We have staked our claim. Uh, 13 yes. 2 Hope, one of the greatest of all time. Evil little idiot. <laughs> uh, almost all glowdowns are are, are are worse uh, because there's, it's not a glowdown. Because uh, uh, in the same way that, like, 13 2 is a sequel to 13, but it's a completely different story in a lot of ways. Um, Hope, you can see the person he becomes in 13, but he's also a very different character, and uh, both are interesting and cool, but I happen to like uh, the quietly, evilly, sycophantic science fascist more. <laughs> the the fight where you're fighting the predefessi and the solution is to, like, yell <laughs> so, so that a recording will pick it up so that he'll have to change his project <laughs> 500 years ago i'm like that's the time travel bullshit i love <laughs> just yelling at hope uh not to invent the torment nexus <laughs> but he's like i will modify my torment nexus <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you consider the 13 mass fiction dlc armor a gito <laughs> the assassin's creed armor uh Caius is a gito uh uh my, my responses to this are yes uh, Caius is Agito, Agito, uh, but also, uh, I think, uh, what, what, what Agito is in type zero is, uh, a nebulous concept that no one can define or really exist as that is used to, uh, create suffering in people. And I don't know if that, like, an ideology that, uh, produces suffering to a nebulous, uh, and potentially bad end kind of line with Mass Effect in any way. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone else can pick up the pieces there. Who can say? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> which uh, Fabio Nova Crystallis uh, cast member would Shadow the Hedgehog respect the most and the least? Uh, Caius, who he would respect the most, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yours, Maria, right? Like, yeah. similar, similar thing going on there. Uh I think he'd hate snow. I mean, everyone fucking hates snow. But, <laughs> like, he's just annoying. He's doing the camera thing, but he's not in Gurren Lagann, so everyone's like, shut up. What are you talking about? Snow is the most Sonic-like of the uh, 13 cast. Uh, I think Shadow would dogs. dislike that. Yeah. God, it's so funny that in 13.2, Snow's like, well, uh, I'm going to leave my wife immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and he forgets how to dress himself as soon as he leaves his wife and shows up yes! with the worst fit imaginable. What is that haircut, my guy? It's such a terrible fit. <laughs> Uh, Adam writes in the Mass Effect answer question again. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. We've already covered. Uh, Alexa writes in, what would Lightning's Pokemon team be? Uh, uh, which I, I 
do not know enough about Pokemon. I know Pokemon every week and then I forget them instantly. <laughs> I, I don't know too much about Pokemon, but I think they would be cute uh, because her the thing with like uh, Mog is like her friend. Mog in yes. 32, who you didn't mention, but he's he's journeying along with uh, Sarah Noel. Uh, uh, Mog comes from Lightning. Mog is hanging out with Lightning first and is sent to... Um, to Sarah. So I think it would be like incongruously cute. She would have lots of little guys. They'd be like fairy types and things like that. Uh, I don't know enough about Pokemon to uh, say, because uh, I'm truly, even though I've played most of the games, I'm still like, uh, she'd have a Pikachu because Pikachu is cute. Uh, I mean, she could go that way, just make it, she's got a Lucario. You know, she's <laughs> getting as generically cool as possible. <laughs> Oh, she has like a full team of legendaries. Says, like, "Yeah, these are my, these are the cool two Pokemon." Oh, she's like, oh, "Here's my Groudon." Uh, my favorite Pokemon is Arceus. <laughs> oh, I had to kill Arceus the other day. <laughs> uh, uh, Sam writes in a question uh, that is about the ways in which uh, Final Fantasy is becoming more and more meta and about like working at Square Enix. Do you think that is true? Uh, or uh, to what extent do you think that is true? I guess is the simplified version. There's more email there, but that's the simplified version of the question, I would say. Uh, yeah. Um, I think there is like, uh, it's really hard not to think about this in the context of Changer of Paradise and uh, Remake, uh, mm-hmm. where you have like, uh, you know, in remake you have uh the the whispers of fate who are uh you know they're they're enforcers of like uh hegemonic ideology but also Square Enix specifically the, the story Square Enix also previously the told yes. yeah uh and then also you have uh the Lufenians in Stranger of Paradise who are very explicitly uh these Square Enix like figures who are creating worlds and like harvesting images and ideas from these worlds um but also uh it's it's hard for me to answer this because i just generally it's not something i usually uh try to do with works that as i don't enjoy mm-hmm. reading kind of uh the creators directly into it in that way unless it's like you know really hard not to like the lefanians um but i would say that like um final fantasy has become more metatextual and i think just like the media landscape in general has become more metatextual is pointing at itself much more uh there is much more uh conscious like interconnections between works of fiction that has become a much bigger part of the way we consume media so i think it has and it's like a reflection of something that is happening more broadly yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Though I, do, I think I think Stranger of Paradise is probably my favorite one of these um, because the thematic like, thrust of Stranger of Paradise is that everyone is like JRPGs suck. Their stories are bad. Uh, they offer completely like irrelevant fantasies to the real worlds of this idea that you can like do kill a god big enough that it would fix problems. It never fixes problems. What are you talking about? Um, and Jack's arc is to ultimately believe that, like, that's still a worthwhile thing. Those stories can still exist, and I will be the catalyst for them, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. that stuff, I think, works. Um, it's, it's very it's very straightforward as a metaphor. Uh, the thing I think about a lot of the Square Enix meta stuff, and specifically Nomura, and this will go into Kingdom Hearts, is I don't think I've seen a man resist metatext more while <laughs> technically doing it than Tetsuya Nomura. <laughs> it's genuinely incredible how, like, you are going to Tokyo to be in a game that he didn't make that he's still obsessed with. And I can't like, 
cleanly get a reading from it because it's so tied up in like no well that's because the world of fiction is on the other side of the world that's real and the world that's real is obviously made up of Disney worlds and I'm like <laughs> filling my brain with the stuff uh, and I feel similarly to um, about Seven Remake and we'll see how that ends up going where like the metaphor starts clear right you have the audience uh, who are you have the audience slash developers and they can you know the general representation of the way things went before and the idea for a new possibility uh, and that that supports multiple reasoning is very clear uh they kill at the end of the game and then this is when people say nomura bullshit they're wrong about it being the fate stuff what it is is the highly specific needlessly specific lore details like instead of the timeline change and Zack returned, it's the timeline change and Zack returned in a parallel universe that you can tell is parallel because it has a different dog. Also, there's four Sephiroth from different points in time. It's like the that's it's like the way too much detail that complicates yes. the thematic readings. That's, I think, a Nomura trademark to be. Uh, <laughs> it's not simply that we've like, you know, uh we've broke free of time and we've created a new future. Is they've almost they've they've done an etro, they've exploded time and have destroyed time, and now there's all these different uh, competing timelines. Uh, yeah very curious to see how that'll all uh get resolved in like two weeks after this podcast comes out yeah and just uh, i thought i had to circle briefly back to yes. uh when talking about like um square love to extract iconography from characters uh my favorite like little touch in stranger of paradise which is uh, kind of minor mid-game spoilers for that uh but each level is like based on a level from a fire final fantasy game and uh one of them is mount gagazit from Final Fantasy X, uh, and you find the faith are still there, and there's like a little lore thing where they just say, well, because we were extracted from our context, we can never be free like the way the faith were free from Ridgely, so we're trapped in this hell forever. Uh, it's it's good. Um, one day I will watch all the Opera Omnia cutscenes and truly understand the Final Fantasy <laughs> multiverse, because I, I know that uh, Stranger Paradise feeds into that. That's where it, that it sets up Dissidia. It's like a Dissidia prequel as well. If you want to go crazy, you can you can open that box, and one day I will. But I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, the, that's what like I think the 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 base game of Stranger Paradise is very self-contained. Uh, but I guess when they saw the sales numbers for Stranger of Paradise, and they were still going to make these like three DLCs, it says right, we have to make this for sickos only, both in terms <laughs> of the mechanics, because uh, it's all about making this the most absurdly difficult game in the world, uh, and also. It's all going to be tie-ins to Dissidia. <laughs> We're going to have the Emperor, but it's the Emperor from Dissidia. Uh, <laughs> and also it's the Mog from Dissidia. Uh, who I think it's different Fion. from the Mog from 13.2. I don't know. I don't know enough about the multiverse of Final Fantasy. Uh, the, yeah, the, 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 the Moogle from Dissidia is actually a Sid. Yeah. <laughs> Final Fantasy is so fucking dumb. <laughs> Uh, uh, from Rose. Uh, no, from Olivia. Rose, Rose would have to wait. <laughs> from Olivia. Uh, if you could Fabula Nova Crystallis any franchise, which one would it be? This would mean the release of a bunch of unique creative games in a short period of time, but also comes with the caveat that the series will be in an identity crisis immediately after. Ooh. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, Halo. You know what? It's already yes. in an identity crisis. <laughs> we already had the crisis. They didn't just, didn't make, if they'd made like oh this is the agito arbiter story that'd be in a way better world i don't know uh like uh, the thing i'm <laughs> in the current like video game landscape the thing i'm th lashing onto for this question specifically is uh 
re- releasing multiple games in a short period of time. Uh, there's no <laughs> franchise I wouldn't apply that to at this stage. I'd uh, love to have some video games released, please. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Oh, God. Um, uh, Resident Evil. We're bringing Jake back. Yes. Um, yes, please. <laughs> God. Uh one could argue, like, the five to six period of Resident Evil is the fact we over Crystallis of <laughs> yeah. Resident Evil. The exact same time period. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, from Rose, what was your favorite game in the series? Uh, least favorite. I assume that means 13. I mean, 13 2 is both of our favorites. And, yeah. Uh, I guess uh, my I guess I like Lightning Returns second and then 13. It depends on what the story is. It, it completely tips the balance because it's in such different ways. Yeah, I think before this replay, I would have said like 13-2, then 13, then Lightning Returns. But I think I've, uh, despite not being wholly uh, pleased with a lot of the changes in hard mode, I think playing in hard mode did get me to appreciate the systems a lot more. So I think uh, it is, yeah, 13-2, Lightning Returns, and then 13. And then uh, Type 0 is like, if we see these in like a Word document, Type 0 is kind of like superimposed over all three of these simultaneously. <laughs> That's its place in the in the rankings. Ah, uh, so true. Uh, man, Machina's fucking uh, dog ears Carmen Rider suit that he gets. <laughs> uh, that he just shows um, up with and uh, they don't explain until the cutscene, like the second last cutscene in the game or something. Uh, I, actually, that is like a thematic point I want to talk about with Type Zero and Lightning Returns as well, which they're both time loop games um, that don't have time loops. They're not di- like the time loop in Type Zero is not diegetic. There is a time loop, but it's not the one you're playing through. You're yes. only playing through one timeline and getting more context. And similarly, in Lightning Returns, like it's not like she fails and then comes back. It's just that the thirteen days happen and it's like a gameplay conceit. Yeah, um, uh, it feels very like because uh, part of like the broad idea of like I think with like Fabian Oversounds was like codifying and proper nounsifying like mm-hmm. ideas that have like existed within final fantasy like you know the the warrior of the crystal becomes like the lassie and things like that uh and type zero sort of like thing of that is uh the kind of cycles of uh conflict and oppression that have existed in prior final fantasy games is made hyper literal into the entire world of type zero is essentially a pocket universe uh that has been rewind and repeated uh I think a character that says, well, this has been like the 17 millionth time we've done this in one of the last cutscenes. Yeah, it, the amount of loops is crazy. It just breaks the game entirely because especially as the whole thing is like, this is the only time they haven't chosen to become the sea, which is crazy. <laughs> you didn't want one of the 17 million times to come up? Didn't come uh, up, you maybe be, <laughs> remain human this time? There is a bunch of untranslated spin-offs of Type Zero because this is another thing. It's like Type Zero was like surprisingly successful in Japan because it, it was uh, released on the PSP uh, originally. And it was a big hit uh, at the right time. Uh, so there's like novels and like two separate mobile games that are like previous iterations of the yeah, cycle. Of the cycle, yes. Uh, which is just crazy to me. I, one of them I didn't even know existed until like a month before uh, we recorded this podcast. Yeah, I was looking that up. I was like, I would like to have read this novel and had a look at it. There was some like Machina stuff that I was like, I don't know if I like that. Like, they had, oh, Machina was like made grumpy in the new timeline because of the changes in the old the loop before, which is why, like why the his sister is sick this time, etc, etc. Uh, I'm like, I, I, I don't know if I feel like you don't need to justify that Machina isn't actually an asshole. I already believe he's the hero of time. <laughs> <laughs> um because uh that's all in the game already to me yeah uh, 
uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's weird. Like, Type Zero is obviously like a very influential game because it's they they remade it and then they called it Final Fantasy 16. Like, there are so <laughs> many moments in 16 that are just directly ripped out of Type Zero. It has an Eidolon fight in it. Like, the Bahamut fight in the middle of that game is just the Eidolon stuff. Like, the Lassie are Eidolons. In, yes. Um, uh, not not Eidolons are what they're called in 13. Um, icons. Icons is what they call them in 16. They should stop giving them different. They just call them fucking summons for the love of God. <laughs> stop confusing me and changing the name every goddamn time. But yeah, they have an icon fight. Uh, uh, like the Ifrit versus Bahamut happens in a... Um, 16 in the even of does zero. like the uh, zoom out of the camera. Uh, type 0 frames it as like uh, like war newsreel propaganda, but, uh, but and 16 does it as like a character spinning troops on a map movements, but they still have a similar kind of like framing of this is how like the armies are moving in the world. It has like an uh, interest in that. Uh, and it, it has like... Boring each, both times. <laughs> each nation has a crystal and a, a, a guardian figure for it. Yeah, it's like a very... Um, for a game, I think is uh, extremely unpopular, especially among people who are big fans of sixteen. Uh, there's a lot of Type Zero in that game. Even like the whole conceit is like to destroy the crystals, to destroy magic, to bring about a like new future. Um, like the, the the same game in so many ways. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how uh, influential, especially with like also being like the it's the blood and death Final Fantasy. Th- there is a scene that might be one of the funniest things I've ever seen, which is where like a little child runs in. <laughs> to the room and just get shot in the face <laughs> just get shot in the face and then blown away and then and then it reveals she's alive and then later in the game she just gets shot and dies but that time she doesn't come back she just actually gets shot so she gets shot and dies twice in the game uh, and, and like that's the blood and fucked up final fantasy and you only know this arc if you're looking at the at the codex because otherwise yes. that character just is shot and killed once never mentioned again uh, it's like hidden lore about one of the like c tier villains on the other team um yeah it's the types of stuff is uh up and down for me i think like going to um the like evil city is because the, the game tries to do a, uh, a lot of like you're actually the bad guys type thing which i could tell minute one um but i think it's aesthetics push against that with um yeah. giving the uh other side the like they're kind of soviet but also kind of nazi in their brutalist evil red banner city and then it's just the aesthetics overpower what's trying to be a more interesting like discussion going on because actually the leader of that is like secretly heroic and doing like a shots counterattack yeah. um uh, and it leads to the scary hats problem <laughs> yeah i i this is like uh as like a huge fan of here this is like i think my maybe biggest criticism is uh i, I, I would just drop the world war ii stuff i don't think it actually i think it actually t- like models a lot of the themes. I don't think uh, the the the, the militess uh, needed to be Nazis, uh, Soviet Nazis. Uh, I, you know, maybe don't call them Class Zero. I think that that word has certain connotations. You know, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's I, I I'm I'm not a huge fan of uh, the way that imagery is deployed. Uh, but yeah, I, I ended up coming out okay. All of the like annoying stuff is front loaded, and then um, it gets very cool in the back half. Uh, yeah. Anyway, back to the back to the questions <laughs> after the that was the Type Zero interlude. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to talk about Type Zero. Uh, this has been my life for a year. <laughs> uh, is it me or is the Lightning Returns soundtrack deeply disappointing, especially as a follow up to Thirteen Two? I wouldn't say deeply, but I do think it's a lesser soundtrack because less of the tracks are um, Mizuta. Like his his are all the tracks I like the most, and he has less contributions in Lightning Returns. Uh, it's as simple as I think it is. Uh, I think. Uh... Uh, 13 Toon soundtrack is uh, 
incredible. Uh, one of my absolute favorites in the series. Um, I think there's a lot of great tracks in Lightning Returns. Um, I think part of the issue is uh, there's a lot of reused tracks as well, and they yeah. kind of like overpower the new material. But also, uh, a lot of the new tracks are very long, and they push against the structure, or the structure of the game pushes against them, such that um, I don't really want I, I i can't be lingering in this place lit, with, lit, uh, waiting for uh the really sick drop in the dead dead dunes theme to happen uh yes. because I, I got shit to do i, I gotta deliver this this thing i i i, I, I gotta keep moving um and i think uh there, there's i really like consistent and interesting contrast where they have this these really long tracks for sections of the game that are not really made for that. I think the, the big example of this for me is the the tune for the final boss, the final phase of the final boss, is a 13-minute track that doesn't loop that much. Like it, it, It's 13 minutes of music uh, for a phase that is timed that you have to kill very quickly uh, <laughs> and you'll maybe hear the three minutes of this 13-minute loop and it's like, okay, clearly some wires got crossed in this production at some point. Yeah, because you're like, oh, it's a big epic final boss for the end of the trilogy, and then the design team's done this three-minute like challenge that's like about manipulating the systems in interesting ways, and it's like, ah, well, I guess we'll just slap it in there then. <laughs> I think the reusing is a, is mostly a shame. There's sometimes where I'm like, uh, the um, the they use the like end of the world track in the in the ruins, uh, and I'm like, that's that's interesting. Like, the, is that making a thing? like this association is being drawn? I'm trying to like consider what it means. Um, but then sometimes they do it so thoughtlessly. I'm like, oh, I guess it means nothing. I guess it just means it's a piece of music. Like they play the Last Hunter in the Colosseum, and I'm like, why? Well, what is like that's Noel's battle theme. What do yeah. you like? Does that have anything to do with anything? And no, it's just a good song. Uh, like it, it, I think it plays like the. Uh, the, the the Wildlands area are supposed to be where Academia used to be. And it does play the Academy theme at, at one point. But it, I love going with the Lost City and you're like, holy shit, yeah. it's, it's Academia. Uh, but also it, it only plays that, like, I think it's like this camp of like random scientists who are just like, could you go get me five herbs, please? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, this yes. is not engaging with like what Academia represented to me in a way that I find uh, gels with the music that's being played here. <laughs> No one's asking me to do quizzes. <laughs> uh, do you think these games would be more favorite today uh, than they were back then, especially since attitudes towards jeopardies have system uh, shifted, especially with uh, the stagger meter being so influential? Uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think if a PS4 remaster came out today, these would be they would all get like seven to eight out of tens, and everyone going they are decent enough and they're fine these days. I think that would be generally the tenor of the reaction. Yeah, I, I think. Uh so much of like i think particularly the reaction to lightning returns at the time was just like exhaustion with what people saw as like this uh like final fantasy is so bad and stupid and weird now and this is just like the final insult and i think people would just be able to be normal about it it's like oh these are just video games uh they're they're they exist within a universe that contains other things uh and i think they'd be able to appreciate it in that context it's really interesting when people talk about the uh like uh remake and 16 and in the reviews and, and specifically like talking about how all oh, the 2010s is finally uh the 2020s is finally Final fancy getting out of its like dark age in the like lightning years um but you look back now and you're like that's not true like from 2009 to 2016 right you had the entire 13 trilogy you had type zero you had 14 launching and being relaunched uh and getting an expansion in um 
yeah, there's even like World of Final Fantasy in there. Uh, there's like some gacha stuff, but it's not like how now every spinoff is a fucking gacha game. Um, I feel like that's like a very exciting series of, especially compared to like the end of the last decade where there was the true Crystal Souls disaster of the yeah. early PS3 era. Um, I feel like that is a good era for Final Fantasy at this point. And it's very silly when you hear people talk about like, oh, they were lost for so long, but now that one game comes out every four years, they're back. <laughs> Even like, uh, you know, Final Fantasy 15, very divisive game online, especially uh, yes. these days. But uh, Soul Gangbusters was like, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the factor in Square Enix uh, money and uh, costs maybe not as straightforward a success as it might seem. They made normal people watch Kingsglaive. Yes, <laughs> like it, it, like in terms of pure sales numbers, Final Fantasy Fifteen phenomenal success. Like outclasses uh, any game that has come after it in the series in that way. Even the idea that like if you went back and you told someone in like uh 2015 or whatever that final fantasy 15 would be more successful than a final fantasy remake i think they would laugh at you in the face but that's true it's what happened it's true that is exactly what happened uh it's interesting especially as like rebirth coming out and it's not going to sell anywhere near as much as 15 did um even though i think they're doing all the from the marketing perspective right things of like 15 soul because it was a big colorful uh open world game that people like to play uh and it's only taken them almost a decade to make a second one <laughs> crazy to me that wasn't the first thing they put out was like oh we're doing this again because it sold a million when instead all of their marketing for 16 was it wasn't like that old game that sold 10 million copies <laughs> they they have to stop marketing final fantasy games as not being like that shit one from before they uh-huh. have to start marketing all of them together as like a thing you can buy into and not like the old shit sucks this new shit's way better because the cycle is just you watch all the reviews for 15 they're all shitting on 13 and same for the 16 ones and i imagine the 17 ones will go the same way as everyone's like oh 16 was too dark and gritty and blah blah, blah. it just happens every time yeah uh it's uh square enix just needs to uh lock all of its like directors in a big room and says you're not allowed to come out until you can just be normal about each other uh in public at the very least for the love of god uh, watching the um jp fan fest for uh 14 dawn trail and he's like oh we're delaying it but it's on like 14 time not square enix time and i'm like you're the same company you fucking people <laughs> you can't just throw the other guys under the bus like that oh my god on the same team <laughs> and then the mora's in game and fora being like if it doesn't have elemental weaknesses it's not final fantasy <laughs> and uh hajime tabata is just quietly saying oh final fantasy 16 it's it's i'm so glad it came out it's <laughs> Uh, I do like Hydra Tomato, like coming like, hey guys, remember me? Uh, <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, anyway, do you prefer Lightning or Sarah? Sarah. Uh, Sarah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who in should Lightning share a blunt with in an, in an attempt to chill out a bit? Kimari. Yeah, I think Kimari would get through to Lightning, uh, especially like 13 Lightning. Yes. Um, uh, I think it's a very different way, but also a ten answer is uh, I would love to see her uh, smoke a blunt with Jack. I want to see what that would look like. <laughs> I want to smoke a blunt with Jack. <laughs> I, I, th- I think she would chill out, but in a vastly different way that she would chill out if she was with Kamari. <laughs> uh, amazing. <laughs> Uh, what is your favorite tie-in DLC outfit of the trilogy? I mean, it's, it's the it's the Mass Effect two. Yeah, Mass two Effect one. is too funny. Uh, it's too good. <laughs> uh, I do think it's like. Uh, funny that like um, uh, in the hard mode of Lightning Returns I was using like the Final Fantasy X Yuna outfit all the way to the end that that was like I could not find a more effective uh, outfit for like the strategy I developed to deal with hard mode than that like the the outfits in 
uh, Lightning Returns, which include a uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider outfit, uh, uh, are like weirdly very good in a gameplay sense. Uh, this is because everyone complained that they bought DLC Alphas for two and they didn't do anything. Oh, uh, okay. Was the reason they changed it? So, okay. Um, even though I'm always of the, I prefer the game to be balanced. Please, I don't want to be buying uh, power ups. It's very funny of just like uh, the shifting sands of time. At one point, gamers were like, "Well, why can't I buy power in this game?" Uh, I imagine it was framed more as like, uh, "Why are we? Why are they charging for this when it's just when I don't need it?" Uh, which I guess, if you're a company, you would take that as a. Um, challenge to, <laughs> oh you're gonna need this one you're gonna need that elementa too it's real useful uh yeah that makes sense uh, uh last question from rose do you think you can ride this chocobo probably not i uh, no. i mean have you seen that chocobo it's 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 pretty hardcore uh the way uh, lightning sits on the chocobo in its first phase where she's got like her legs to the side ridiculous to me. <laughs> Uh, I I played when I played thirteen. I did it with uh, my party was uh, uh, Vanille, Fang, and Lightning, uh, uh, which was interesting. Both because I didn't really have a good synergist, so I could not rely on buffing myself in the same way, which was a really interesting challenge. Because I mm-hmm. last time we played the two games, I used Hope, who's uh, like a very good synergist. But also, it let me see that like uh, a nice little touch is that both Vanille and Fang are way more normal about riding on one chocobos than every other character <laughs> in the game. <laughs> That's delightful. I can't wait to see Red 13 riding on a chocobo next month. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't even consider that. Um, they, they, they asked it in interviews, and apparently Nomura was like, he just rides the chocobo. <laughs> uh, well, from, if Red 13 can ride this chocobo, maybe we all can. Uh, that's true. No one knows how he can do it, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's found a way. But in response, Hamaguchi says he uses his paws to grasp tightly onto the ropes. <laughs> I don't know how without opposable thumbs, but good, well done. Uh, Rorik says I have a real fondness for Type Zero, particularly the war battles. Uh, I really wish that some of that uh, carried over into the design. Uh, I wish, sorry, I really wish that some of the design choices choices from the Fabula Nova Cristalis series had been carried over and refined going forward. Do you have any favorite mechanics uh, that you wish Square uh, could bring back? Uh, gambits. Please, please, can I have some gambits, please? Uh, please, please, please. But also, uh, I think they have carried forward uh, design choices from the Fabula Nova Cristalis series. I think uh, 7 Remake uh, and 16 to a lesser extent are both playing in a lot of like the design spaces that uh, 13 established. Um, yeah, like not like they both have stagger things, but uh, there is clearly like a continuity of design that is uh, going through these games. Um, I think even like uh, if a hard mode of uh, Seven Remake, which uh, takes away your ability to use items, so you can only resurrect people with uh, like uh, raised materia, and your MP doesn't regenerate. Uh, so you have to you have one MP bar for a whole chapter. Uh, feels extremely like. That's how type zero structure levels difficulty, where mm-hmm. uh, when someone dies, you just kind of have to deal with that because there's like six Phoenix Downs in the entire game. Uh, so yeah, I think I think type zero having the Metal Gear Solid Five thing, where I'm like, I'm gonna take in like 
15 guys and they're going to kill them all. And you just feel yourself becoming like the PMC manager. Uh, yes. As you're like, all right, I'm going to put up my weak guy first and he's going to do this attack and then he's going to die and then I'll do this. And, you know, there's the characters become gameplay functions as you just watch these children die for you yes. 11 times in a row. This is, this is when I fell in love with the game. It's when I realized I was like, well, I don't you like using this character so I'm going to just like put them in first so then they'll be shot immediately. And it's like, oh, that's a horrible thing. I've just thought there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that stuff's so cool about uh type zero um uh ml wrote in with a, a very long question which i will simplify to like the key points uh but there's a lot of more context here uh question one do you think the reception of ff13 was symptomatic of the west versus japan discourse back in the day with regard to hd production and gender politics and uh yeah it was absolutely the lightning yes. rod for most of that conversation uh i i think uh in in terms of uh when people were talking about like uh japanese games being weird and bad i think 13 was the game they were pointing to in a lot of ways because uh mostly because it was like financially successful and as part of like a recognizable franchise um and also because you know despite the fact that i truly have never thought that lucie falsy pulse and cocoon are confusing in any real way uh it became very easy to just say oh what's the sea oh that's such a ridiculous idea uh so yeah i think definitely um uh yeah, just 100% that is the case. It's absolutely crazy that people were making that complaint at the same time they were eating up Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> like, do we like when there's stupid sci-fi proper nouns or not? Like, well, make up your mind. Um, and to be clear, the stupid sci-fi proper nouns are not my problem with Mass Effect. That's the part of Mass Effect I liked <laughs> as a teenager. Um, I like Ezo. But... <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Um and question two how valid do you think the linearity criticism of 13 uh, is and is this also tied into west versus japanese games uh, this is a little more nebulous i don't think it's like tied in as much i think there's like a broader idea of like people complaining about linearity in video games at the time because this is also when like most video games that were coming out were like three to five hour shooter campaigns where you couldn't do anything but hide behind cover and yeah. not all i say most but like there was still a greater variety of like major published video games coming out then compared to now by like a wide margin. Uh, but that was still like the perception of the way mm -hmm. video games had gone. And that was across like all genres. And I think like the 13 stuff was uh, more about Japan trying to like compete with that than it was necessarily uh, a West versus Japan thing. Yeah. I think uh, like with a lot of, whenever there is a, uh, regardless of whether it is actually consumed all video games, whenever there is a perceivable trend in games, uh, people will naturally get tired of it and will eventually say, I'm tired of linear games, linear games are bad. Uh, like, happened with Call of Duty, uh, the current era, it continues to happen with open world games in this era. Uh, it just, um, people get bored of uh, games being one way and eventually say, well, games should not be this way. Yeah they'll get bored and they'll say something like i wish there weren't any more Mega Man games and then they'll be like no what have i done <laughs> <laughs> oh what if Mega Man got a fabulous nova crystallis there we go uh, <laughs> oh zero they're trying to open the eyes of Entro over here. <laughs> god that. uh question three more straightforward what did you think of the soundtracks of the trilogy uh, especially going from uh, the orchestral uh, Uematsu stuff in the previous Final Fantasy games to the more electronic compositions by Hamauzu. I don't necessarily agree. I think uh, Hamauzu is also very uh, orchestral um, and Uematsu is also very electronic. Yeah, I, I would um, maybe even go the other way. And I think like especially uh, late Uematsu is like, uh, you know, one, one of the tracks he did for 10 was uh, Seymour Battle, which is a, a club banger. Uh, truly a club banger. Uh, so yeah, I, I think... Um, 
I think if anything, like uh, I, 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 I associate Hamazi stuff with like strings a lot of the time. Oh, he's the high strings. I feel like he's a not narrow necessarily composer. He does have range in some of the soundtracks, but I do. I can tell when I'm hearing a Uzu strings yes. song instantly. Uh, uh, the funniest one for this is like uh, he 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 composes the Dirge of Cerberus soundtrack, uh, and it just sounds like thirteen. <laughs> yeah, it, it it feels like a prototype for thirteen, and also it's not really, you know, uh, Dirge of Cerberus aesthetically feels like a game. There's maybe maybe more uh, crying out for like the prog rocky Uematsu stuff was doing at the time than uh, this very earnest uh, string orchestral movements. Um, the, the Dead of Cerberus 13 stuff for me that always finds funny is that for some reason uh, it just has 13's like HP bar in it they just kept that yes. for 13 <laughs> uh, none of the other aesthetic elements carry forward but it just has the like the way the HP bar works and the like faded chrome um, I'm like damn they, I guess this was the same the same team broadly uh, ridiculous <laughs> um, but I, I do think that the introducing uh, Naishi Mizuta uh, and uh uh, Mizudo Suzuki for the sequels uh, is a good idea. I think that Hamauzu having his own, like entirely doing a soundtrack, it is like 13 is a good soundtrack, but it is a very samey one. There's like songs I really like, and they're all like high melody string songs, usually. Even even uh, Sun of Waterscape is like that, but with a bit of like a, a beat, right? Mm. Uh, which Club Banger of the Century, everyone loves Sun of Waterscape, um, but it does not have the variety that like FF8 did, even a little bit. And I think that 13 2. Uh, deliberately going for like something ridiculous and eclectic works a lot. Uh, I want to know um, what Masuda's working on now because his, his thing for a while was that he was the Eleven soundtrack guy. He did all the Eleven stuff. Uh, he did Stranger of Paradise. There you fucking go. Uh, uh, that is a game. I don't know if I would say it has a particularly great soundtrack, but it certainly has a pretty eclectic one. <laughs> yeah, um, I like the Stranger of Paradise soundtrack, but I was like, what's going on with Square Enix? It's like producing music. Like the side chaining on that was like crazy. I was like, this just sounds like dog shit sometimes. Like it's not mixed right. And I'm like, did something go wrong? Uh, and then I think that regularly about the Sokens music. Who I'm like, he's a good composer, but can someone who knows how to EQ this please step in and change the VSCs for me? <laughs> um, uh, uh, a couple questions left uh, from Ashley uh, in 13.2. Why does Mog turn into Sarah's weapon? Uh, why isn't Mog the monster <laughs> instead? Like transforming into different monsters. Uh, I, I think, think I think it's funny uh, that that <laughs> happen because it means they pick him up and chuck him to get the treasure chests. One of the greatest things in Lightning Returns is the side quest where you fucking yeet the Moogles into <laughs> it's the sky. So good. And the Moogles are like, "Please don't yeet me, Lightning!" And she's like, "Suck it up, bam." <laughs> <laughs> uh, they truly understood that throwing Moogles is funny in these games. <laughs> uh, I think like. The broad reason is like it's it's lightning's pet, right? It's lightning threat from the unseen chaos that becomes uh, Sarah's weapon is the thing that they're doing there. Uh, but it's also funny because it's a Moogle. Yeah, uh, and I think also uh, Mog is kind of like you know uh, it's a strong word, but he's like a kind of comedic coward a lot of the time. And I think that wouldn't yes. read in the cutscenes as well if he was actually like you know turning into a behemoth and and uh, fighting the monsters. Uh, it's uh, it's funnier when he's just, like hiding behind Sarah and is scared of something. Uh, from Fadem, which Final Fantasy game should get its own trilogy? Uh, whoa, uh, hmm. Twelve? Um, problem is my gut's like, don't, if I like it, I don't want them to touch it. <laughs> my, I, I think of twelve because uh, I, I think uh, I 
the first half of 12, I think, is very exciting and propellive, and the, the back half just completely falls apart and the ending is nothing. Uh, and I think maybe in the same way that like 13.2 kind of address some of uh, the sort of latent criticisms of 13, uh, you could maybe build onto that world and sort of like uh, maybe, uh, you know, pick up some of the stuff that's clearly just like left on pause because uh, the person who originally conceived of this story left and they just had to sort of go with what they had uh i i know i know they were making a uh truly bad sounding uh spin-off game where you were like ash climbing a big tower or something you say uh, they were making sorry grin uh, <laughs> the makers of wanted weapons of fate uh when were- i was talking about three to five hour uh shooters <laughs> i was talking about grin and wanted weapons of fate uh yeah, they they were making some kind of spin-off uh, about climbing a tower, and it didn't sound very good from what they were planning, but I don't know. I think the visually the world of 12 is really, really cool, and mm-hmm. uh, every other game, I'm like, I don't want a sequel to 8, I don't really want a sequel to 9, uh, I don't want a sequel to... Uh, I think most of them end in a place where it's like, I think it would be actively bad to make a sequel, uh, or I would just find it uninteresting, so... Uh, yeah, that's the, really the only one that kind of springs to mind that hasn't got a sequel in some way. Yeah, I'm looking at the list and like, I genuinely, I'm, I don't know, like, the early, it's not like I want another sequel to 4, I know they made one and I'd like to play it one day, but uh, I'm not like clamoring for a sequel to 6, right? Like, feels pretty sewn up to me. Um, 7's got everything and then 8, like, again, it's so, like, 8's school story. I don't actually care about the gardens and the time compression, and the, it, it's about school. It's the most yeah. single-character focus any of these games has ever been. Um, it's not that I don't, don't care, right? It's, it's still well done, but, like, that game is about school. If you take school out and did something else, I wouldn't... we would be a waste of everyone's time. I don't even know what that, what that game would be. Uh, and 9, similarly, is just so generic that I'm like, I don't really know what would happen next. Like, what would you do? I guess there'd be another war, right? Like, the, a new threat has emerged. It'd just be another Final Fantasy that happened to be in the same world. Mm. Um, I guess, cynically, like, it's crazy that they haven't done, like, a trilogy of Switch games out of 14. Like, they would sell. People they, people buy anything on 14. Yeah, lines. like that Dragon, 10, Dragon Quest Ten online thing that's, like, uh, actually just a sort of on-ramp to the online game. Uh, and not actually a offline version uh, of that game. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, I don't even mean that's that. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I'm too early in 14 to know, but surely you can make a fucking Emmett Selch game that all the people posting about him would go crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> they did, like, a him prequel or whatever. I don't know. I know he's, like, to do with the past stuff. <laughs> I'm still early in 14, and I know yeah. some things, but it's not all come together in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people love to post about that man. <laughs> so, they sure do. Uh, I'm like... They should make a sequel to Final Fantasy 2 about, like, the 30 people who are left alive in that world by the end of that game. Well, what if they made it about the four people who died? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be flipped on our heads right now. Uh, you guys heard of Minwoo? <laughs> uh, <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, was there one, one more question? Yes, um from jen out of all the cast from the first 13 game uh, which character had the most disappointing unfortunate arcs across two and three and what would you do to fix their arc this is a good point we actually didn't talk about it much because it was so bad uh it's not this is not a question this is the most easy answer yeah. uh if you said anything other than zaz you'd just be straight up lying yeah uh he just drops off the face of the earth uh like after uh say like all the cast in 13 uh are kind of sidelined in 13 too uh but lightning returns um 
all of them get like something. And Saz is just kind of, uh, he's, he's truly the most, like he's just repeating the arc he had on in 13 on fast forward. Uh, and it's just, he just spends the entire game moping in one room and is left out of the final boss uh, and shows up in the final cutscene late to the party. Uh, so yeah, uh, I would fix his arc by letting him do anything at all. <laughs> Well, I remember when like I was playing Lightning Returns and the well the the premise of it is interesting and it's interesting for Zaz specifically because he is um so defined by his fatherhood to uh dodge in such a like cartoonish and uh, definitely racist way, right? Like, you know, this is the second uh like you know, another black main character in Final Fantasy and all he cares about is being a dad, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing this again. Um and I like that stuff in the character, but it's coded in a certain way. And I'm like, okay, well, what if we were perhaps in a world where no one ages or dies, uh, and his child is now like 500 years old and he's still his kid and still looks like his kid but his like just as much life experience like minus 40 years right uh and they both used to this world and they both have to like figure out what that relationship means and i was like there's before i met zaz my head was like full of possibilities for what you could do with this concept and his story and how you could like elevate it into ways that would uh, uh like take his character beyond just the stereotype he kind of starts out as um and they do none of that and make it worse <laughs> Because uh, yep. it turns out, like Dodge has been uh, like fallen into a sleep, and his soul's been split apart for five hundred years. And everyone's conversations about it, oh, he's got to free him again from Crystal, basically, just like the first game. It's, but, it's different from the Crystal thing, but not in any practical way. <laughs> well, the practical way is it's been five hundred years, and the, none of the cutscenes address that. It's not like all oh, my son is dying, and I have to save him. It's I've now lost 500 years of eternity to this thing, but none of the, they're just like, I have to save Dodge. No one talks about the like time scale that the games operates on. Mm-hmm. The um, side quests get into that, but much better than the Dodge stuff, which just ignores it. And it's just about, oh, oh he's fine now. We're fixed and we can go back to being uh, Saz and Dodge, even though you can't just like pause a person's life 500 years. That's not how anything works in the real world because you can't age, you can't live 500 <laughs> years. Uh, yeah. So that was just deeply disappointing. Yeah. Make, make Dodge as weird as all the other uh, NPCs in Lightning Returns. Give him a, a, a silly hat that doesn't look like it was supposed to exist on his character model. <laughs> uh, that's so true. Man, the fucking NPCs. And- you mean, one of the major MP- then this is in a main quest. He is like the tour guide that like gets you into the plan to um, like attack Snow's Palace. Uh, is... A man with a strange hat and big glasses and a massive drum that he is beating like a big clown guy, like at a march, uh, banging out a cartoonish rendition of Battle of the Brig- Big Bridge 24-7. Uh, that's the main character of this game. <laughs> uh, Fucking ludicrous. And the idea that all those people just persist in, in the real world, like, uh, is, is just, uh, can't get into the ending of Lightning Returns again. <laughs> God, we just got it's too all-encompassing but that's it we reached the end of the questions oh this was a long one uh thank you so much for joining me uh thank you so much for having me uh i had a great time i'm sorry if i uh i have a tendency to ramble on a bit but uh no, no it's, it's fine i was worried about keeping you for this, this long ass podcast uh i'm fine to talk about my, oh, i've got three hours um but thank you so much uh would you like to uh plug your stuff let people know where they can find your shit uh yeah uh you can find pretty much anything uh i'm doing uh at uh, Woodabris, uh, W-O-O-D-A-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Uh, that will have everything. Uh, I have a YouTube channel uh, where uh, hopefully in the next few weeks I will have a video about the Final Fantasy VII remake uh, out I've been working on. Um, and uh, yeah, I also have, uh, there's a website I 
write some stuff on with some of my friends called Bump Combat. Uh, I have a link onto that on my Twitter as well. Yeah, uh, would strongly recommend anyone who enjoyed this podcast to go and watch your Crisis Core video um, because it's very good. It also means I don't have to like talk about Crisis. You covered it. Done. <laughs> that one. Uh, that one's nice and wrapped in the bag there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me uh, you can find the podcast uh, I do at normalmapping.com uh, you can find me on Twitter at Headfuls Off and on co-host on Blue Sky sometimes uh, and you can support the Patreon at patreon.com slash normalmapping if you want uh, extra podcasts uh, but that's it that's it thank you for this long ass show <laughs> uh, and um, uh, we'll be back with a proper episode with me and Em in uh, two weeks I don't know when this is coming out at the end of the month end of February I've got to go play um, uh, Prince of Persia now. So, oh shit, I'm jealous. Yeah. Gaming, 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 gaming. Uh, so, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. We'll see everyone next time. Later. Zuzukumono おいていかれて探してみつめすぎたから配られた地図がとても正しくどこかへ体を運んでいく早すぎる世界で運べないように聞かせてただ一つのその名前を
心。